I mean, shoot, I, I'll say this about the tush push. Obviously, it's taken off, and we all know that, but the tush push has been around for a long time. When teams are backed up on the half-yard line, what are they doing back there? They're running victory sneak. Like, that's what yeah. teams do. We just – the Philadelphia Eagles brought it to the field to play. So it's been around. It's not like it's it's been around probably for who knows. You know what I mean? Probably before we always talk about, oh, man – Hey, uh, let's run this play, man. They, I don't know if this has ever been done. Oh, yeah, it's probably been done in 1965. Thanks to Toyota and the brand-new Toyota Tacoma. Next week, we'll be broadcasting from the NFL Media Center in Las Vegas from the most badass set in all of Radio Row. That's right, the all-new 2024 Toyota Tacoma with its trail-dominating power, legendary capability, and captivating style is arriving in dealerships. And it's arriving at the 2024 Super Bowl in Las Vegas as we are helping Toyota launch the all new 2024 Toyota Tacoma. That's right, it's gonna be right next to me. You'll be able to see the all new best-selling midsize pickup in America featured on the Greenlight podcast set recorded from the Tacoma content studio. The all-new Toyota Tacoma dares you to come out and play. The all-new 2024 Toyota Tacoma, the most powerful Tacoma ever, is your chance to experience trail-dominating power, legendary capability, and captivating style. It's time to make your off-roading dreams come true. With the 2024 Toyota Tacoma, a truck that's tough on the trail and easy on the eyes, electrifying power, maximum torque, the all-new Toyota Tacoma is the most powerful Tacoma ever. Toyota, the official automotive partner of the NFL. Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. Cowboy, take me away. A busy show for you all today on Friday. We've got Shane Steichen, the Indianapolis Colts head coach. He's going to pop on, talk a little Gardner Minshew, talk a little Anthony Richardson, Talk about the Colts' 2023 season, how much fun it was, and recap his first season at the helm of an NFL club. He also gives out some Super Bowl memories with the Eagles, talks the tush push, and gives a little love to Big Dom. Outside of Shane today, Chris is going to talk some of the coaching hires we saw, Mike McDonald to the Seahawks, and then Dan Quinn getting the nod in Washington. He's going to give his takes on both those. We hear a little Godzilla minus one review that Chris saw last night. Macon ran into Nolan Ryan at the UVA basketball game. And then after Shane, we talk some Super Bowl memories of Chris's, what the Greenlight crew gets to look forward to in Las Vegas, and then a little bit of admin. The fellas had some fun with it. A wonderful show. Just be aware there might be some spoilers in that Godzilla Minus One review from Chris. So enjoy the show, and we will catch you Monday. I'm playing through a toothache today. Acute tooth pain is caused when either you have a dental tooth infection, decay injury, or loss of a tooth. I'm not aware of any of these things. I'm gonna talk about John Madden football in a second. I am joining a John Madden football league. 
Kyle Long and his loser friends play with regularity against each other in a franchise mode John Madden League. He propositioned me last week to join the league. I was tapped. He sent me a list of teams that I could choose from. Jets, Ravens, Browns, Colts, Raiders, Broncos, Commanders, Packers, Falcons, Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals. Browns. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. Pick a good defense. Pick a good team. I don't want to coach Deshaun Watson. I don't want to deal with that contract. This is a league that goes on for years now. So you got to think about cap in 2024. How long it, is this music going to play? The whole time we're talking about John Madden. <laughs> and if you know the title of the song, it's called Raiders. Now, that's who I selected. I selected the Las Vegas Raiders. Listen, I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking about Devontae Adams just being better than any corner that anybody has in this league. I'm thinking about Josh Jacobs. I'm thinking about 2024. Do I have to trade Max Crosby? Mm. You know, because controlling a defensive end in that game isn't that fruitful and maybe I can get something for him. We need a franchise quarterback. What have I gotten myself into? Do we'll you, find out. you draft? Do you draft? I think you do draft. How do you, how does or that you work? probably just get the Raiders players? Whoever I think the Raiders you, you start from scratch with the Raiders right now in 2023, so go backwards a little bit. And then I think in 2024 there are there are drafts. Oh, you can draft? I think I get to draft. Oh, that is dope. Yeah, it's really cool. Do you want to join the league? Yeah, actually. Really? Yes, because I wasn't going to say this and then I decided I was going to say it like a couple of seconds ago. I have a couple hours at night usually. All right, there we go. That's when the games are played after bedtimes. I mean, all these guys are like us. I I've gotten the itch. It's back. The okay, itch is cool. Back. So I'll talk to Kyle and see if uh, we can get you in the league. Can hardly think over this fucking music, but well, I've got let's the turn the music the down and get game. into the podcast. <laughs> I mean, goodness. Listen, what have I gotten myself into? I've downloaded an app called Discord to communicate with Kyle. Like I'm a total gamer now, and I asked him. I said, "Do PC gamers have an advantage over guys like me who are playing on PS5?" He said, "No." I don't know if that's true or not. Dog, um, this roster is kind of rough i know but i'd rather i you know it's like a built-in excuse when i don't win year one it's like well i picked the fucking raiders man yeah you know and i, I think it'd be a lot of fun to to uniform is a big part of it I, sure. I looked at the broncos hard because you can actually in madden change your your uniforms i could do color rush i could go back and do the old like uh steve you Atwater. Do broncos color rush all the way through. i know but the cap dude you've got the, the 13th lid? overall oh, the cap yeah. pick <laughs> Yeah, that that because it's this it's right now, right? You have Russ. Yeah. Now, if if I pick the Broncos, what can I do with him next year? Can yeah. I just keep him on under contract? You might you might want to wait, you know, to join or pick your team like a couple weeks because apparently the Russ to Atlanta Falcons is a real rumor. Man, I might need to talk to Kyle today. <laughs> hey, Reed, I'm gonna start a uh, super Tecmo Bowl league. Oh yeah, and I'd love to go back and play some Tecmo Bowl. I can remember keep playing it simple. Tecmo Bowl. In Tecmo Bowl, when guys got hurt, they showed this still graphic of the guy like leaving the hospital in a full uniform and like with, with like flowers as if people would drop flowers off after you got a surgery. I never got flowers. So I would play with my dad. My dad would get hurt and he'd be leaving the hospital with a bouquet of flowers. All right. So I'll keep you posted on the, on the Madden League. I, I think I'm going to get a Twitch account, honestly. I have no idea how it works, but maybe we'll get into Twitch here at Greenlight. It's fun. You should do it. Okay. If I don't get in... I just heard about a number of team vacancies, so I'll be a bit upset. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> There'll be some take. Well, I think I, I, there's not 32 guys, but I'm pretty sure there's no no limit. 
Okay. You know, so I'll talk to him today. Okay. I'll see what I can do. All right. Thanks. All right. Housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping. Now, I've got some big Super Bowl announcements. We're going to talk about the <gasps> Super Bowl later, but we've got merch coming up next week, Super Bowl week. People have been asking me, where do you get that good looking lid? There's no guarantee that it's going to fit your head like it fits my head. Uh, but it is a wonderful lid, and we've got some good merch that's going to be hitting the internet next next week, Wednesday, um, including these hats. So keep an eye out for that. When you what see is us, the website? Yeah, when you see us on Radio Row, we're going to be out there. You'll see us rocking some cool gear, not just the hats, the cool hats, but also we got some T-shirts and hoodies. So we'll where can we get these? Stickers. Uh, we'll have a link for everybody. You okay. can go on there. You can order. That builds the intrigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can't buy it now, but next Wednesday, yeah, yeah, I'm checking to get the link. Hey, yeah, can I put a live. request in? Yeah, berets? Headband. <laughs> Derbies? Want a headband. You want a green light headband? Want a headband. Like a Zach Wilson kind of headband? Nah, I wouldn't really want to bring him into it, but yeah, Jim I want McMahon. a headband. Like a Jim McMahon, who, by the way, we are trying to see Jim McMahon out in out in Vegas. I just want to say that he's a guest on our list that we're trying to get. There's a lot of guests that we might get in Vegas, uh, and we might get a lot of uh, guests right there, um, right outside Radio Row in the media center. This is this is big news, okay? Drum roll. Well, I don't need a drum roll. Maybe I've mentioned this before on the show, uh, but I'm really excited to be partnering with Toyota. We are partnering with Toyota at the Super Bowl. We will be broadcasting from the Tacoma Content Studio inside the NFL Media Center. Tons of great guests, charity challenge, uh, et cetera. We'll be doing some grid stuff. We're going to have a ton of guests coming through there. Some of the names I've already gotten are fantastic, okay? So stay tuned for that. Uh, the whole gang's going out there. We'll talk about that later. But uh, basically, there's like the Media Center, and there'll be a Tacoma in there. It's a beautiful truck. I think we should do the podcast inside the Tacoma because not a lot of podcasts are doing, you know, content inside vehicles. I think we could be real trail trailblazers. There. And it'll be quiet. It'll be quiet inside the, the cab. And it's a comfy cab. I've been inside a Tacoma and I'm Roomy. a big guy and I can Roomy. fit in a Tacoma. Have you made love inside a Toyota? You did? Have you? Um, I've been a Toyota owner my whole life almost. Got you. Uh, uh, say so, no yeah, more. Say no more. I love Toyota, man. <laughs> so here's the deal. This is a dream for me. Sometimes with products, you're like, yeah, that sounds cool. Make some money. And sometimes with products, it's like, we can make a lot of money and we can sell for one of my favorite brands, which is Toyota. I am a Toyota driver. My favorite like physical possession outside of like a living human being, which isn't really a possession. My kids, I don't want to call them possessions, but you get the idea. It's a it's a, a 1990 FJ62, and uh, yeah, I do have an LS1 in there. I did drop a little bit more horsepower under the hood, but that's my favorite truck in the world. Um, I've driven an FJ Cruiser. I've had the Forerunner. I drove the Forerunner all the way from LA to Virginia, one stop in Flagstaff, Arizona. That thing was a beast, and now I got a Tundra, and I don't I don't see how I'm going back. So I'm a big Toyota guy. I was psyched when they asked. And Toyota is, of course, the official automotive partner of the NFL. Plus, quarterbacks drive F-150s. You don't want that. Mm -hmm. That's why it's the perfect brand marriage, me and Toyota, right? Sam Bradford had an F-150. It was totally fucking clean inside. He didn't do anything with the F-150. It's a perfect representation of what that brand's about. So you can buy a Sam Bradford truck, a quarterback truck, where they make all these rules. We don't need all those rules to keep us safe. The Toyota's plenty safe and luxury uh, appointed and roomy inside. 2024 Chevy Silverado, you need a tailgate step? You really need a tailgate step? 
My dad did. What do I look like? Howie Long? Exactly. <laughs> my dad did a commercial with Chevy and he was like, look at my tailgate step. You know what happened when he got home? Uh -huh. His testosterone dropped. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> my mom won't even look at him. So I just a couple quick Googles here. Toyota is the superior uh, truck and we are partnering with the official automotive partner Toyota of the NFL. E equals testosterone. You named a media company Yote House after yep. Toyota. After Toyota. Say Clearly. No more. So say no more. And Japanese uh, engineering is just better. Yeah. I learned that last night watching Godzilla. It was amazing. Uh, Godzilla minus one. Oh, it was amazing what, the, what those Japanese folks were able to do to that giant lizard. Yeah, I had a lot of edibles last night <laughs> at Godzilla. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, I love going to the movies. Yeah, this this movie fits fits me. I mean, like, uh, this is a movie that I would guess I would like. But I've never been obsessed with a monster movie before. And this thing was a cinematic masterpiece. It's a story about um, redemption. It's a story of heroism. It's a story of cowardice. Uh, and it's a tale of the duality of man and a giant lizard and how those those things can come up uh you know for the same person they, 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 i'm going to share the plot with you in a second so spoilers uh spoiler alert if you haven't seen godzilla minus one but it is a fucking cinematic masterpiece i was my jaw was on the ground bad back back he was there last night i i looked over i i don't know what part it was i think it was with the minds probably the mind i looked over at you and tom and and the faces and how you were just leaning forward and then like 10 minutes later i looked and you were in the same position i could not just move like i could not move my jaw was on the floor it's an incredible movie i think that one of the scenes in this movie is the top five action scene in in cinematic history i know i can do the the hyperbolic shit on a day like today like i said last night i got home and uh and i was about to tweet about it and i was like you know the tweets went something like this it was like i there's a lot of things I want to say right now that I'm not going to say, and I want to sleep on it, you know? But let me just say that this is a cinematic masterpiece. I'm comfortable saying that before I go to bed. I slept on it. I still feel that way. Um, I come home, and I fire up uh, The X Machine. And Stephen A. Smith, who I guess he's got a Stephen A. Smith show, which is probably my favorite show to watch on YouTube. I think he's tremendous, just Stephen A. and a microphone at this stage in his career. He's he's power ranking Pokemon characters. He's answering mailbag questions. He's just at that stage in his career where he can do whatever the fuck he wants. He's like us, but with a lot of money, you know, with a lot of cash flow coming into the operation. Um, and somebody asked him who would win King Kong or Godzilla. And Stephen A had the audacity to say that King Kong would win. Hand up. Uh, did not know there was a difference. Between King Kong and Godzilla? One and the same to me until this moment. I've never seen any of this shit. It, it's it is so respectfully is so stupid. But go yeah, go on to Stephen A. I would say, are you serious? Nineteen forty seven, Godzilla did thirty thousand kills at Ginza in one breach. The same year, the same year, nineteen forty seven, he 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 destroyed a heavy cruiser. And he, he played through a detonated mine all in the same year in 1947. What has King Kong done to be even in this conversation? Godzilla shoots uh, radiation out of his mouth. He regenerates. He survives mine detonations. He can swim. The only way they killed him 
was flying a plane into his fucking mouth, which is not as easy as it sounds. So I got, I got, I got, I got, I got Godzilla. They did a really good job of making it kind of the old school style with the black and white and all like they nailed that you know can i can i let you in on some i don't Please. know if you knew this because when i got home last night and you know like i just kept taking more gummies in the movie and then when i was dropped off at home uh the gummies just kept hitting hmm. so i was sitting at home and i was just dumbfounded texting all the guys in the group chat and some of them had seen godzilla and by the way two of our friends from the same family took their children under age eight to see that movie. I think that qualifies as child abuse. That was like, I don't know what Godzilla movie a six-year-old is going to be okay with, but it wasn't this one, okay? So I was saying the same thing. We're in this movie, and I'm like, what a cool artistic touch. You know, it's all subtitles too, by mm -hmm. the way, um, which was fine. The movie was so good, I would watch it without subtitles. We were subtitles. cultured as we, well. We were cultured, but... But we're sitting there halfway through, and I'm like, this is just so artistic. It's in black and, and white. The, the movie starts, and I'm like, okay, they'll probably flip back to color soon like because this is a flashback or something. But no, the whole movie's in black and white. And that's and a re-release. When I saw it two weeks ago, it was all color. That's the problem. I get home, and I'm like, and oh. how about the touch of putting it in black and white? And the guys are like, you fucking idiots. <laughs> you went and watched the black and white Godzilla. You need to go see the color Godzilla. So basically... I I've, think we're good. I've got an No, we're not good. I need to go back and see it in color. Oh, you want to see the color? I'm going to go back and see it again. Crying out loud. And I can tell you, I have never gone back and watched a movie twice in theaters. I would go back no. tonight and see it in color. What's Godzilla's favorite sport? Squash. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you I, Godzilla's up. powerful, man. I, I think King Kong's in trouble. I, I thought the twists in this movie were incredible. I thought the action in this movie was incredible. I thought the story in this movie was incredible. And I would see it again. I'd see it tonight. I would see it tonight. If you want to go back tonight, I would see it tonight. <laughs> Am I exaggerating on this it, thing? It was really good. It was really good. I, I, no, it's awesome. One of my favorite movies I've seen all year. Were sure. you on drugs too, Kingston? I was, yes. Okay. All right. So maybe I'll go back <laughs> and... What did the dairy farmers say when they saw Godzilla? Um, Monster. Monster. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. <laughs> holy cow works too. Yeah, that was good. Cow hey, one listening or else. By the way, also Planet of the Apes is coming out May 10th, yeah. and I felt like that melted my face too, just watching that preview. I, I have a tough time with the monkeys... <laughs> I talk talking talk English. It's really? Just, yeah. Like I, you were okay with the giant lizard I'm destroying totally cities, okay with but the monkeys can't talk. Yeah, too much for me. I did feel like there. Obviously, there was panic when he would come, but then afterwards, everyone was kind of like, "Okay, he's gone." Back just, to normal. And you're like, "Well, I don't well, know." Well, they about couldn't being tell anybody. Normal. They couldn't do anything because, uh, and of course, I'm talking about this like it's a real event. You but know? do you know what I mean? Like the after effects, they, I, there wasn't a lot of fear going on. Well, no, there was fear, but they're Japanese people. Like they're they're stoic. They know that, like, yeah. you know, they, we've got to do what's best for the country. And best thing for the country was not doing anything because they didn't want the Soviets to see that they were engaging in some sort of military exercise, and then they'd be up shit's creek in World yeah. War Two. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I guess that what I took away from the movie is that being a coward pays. You know, because if he hadn't been a coward, he wouldn't have survived the kamikaze attack. He wouldn't he wouldn't have lived through the attack at Ginza. And uh, he wouldn't have been able to fly that plane into Godzilla's mouth. 
So I think the movie's right up your alley in that sense. <laughs> That's funny. I, maybe the redemption arc is more me, you know? <laughs> That's good. You know? I wanted Two. to speak to you about a guy named Nolan Ryan, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, seven no-hitters, most ever. 12 one-hitters, most ever. 18 two-hitters, most ever. 32 three-hitters, most ever, mm-hmm. okay? 383 strikeouts in a season, that's most ever. 300-plus strikeout season six times, that's the most ever. Most strikeouts ever, this guy. He averaged 1.06 strikeouts per inning. You're a pitcher. Yeah. For 5,386 innings. He averaged more than a strikeout. But he got to throw overhand. In inning, true, true. In 1980, at age 33, you following along? I'm with you. Nolan Ryan recorded his 3,000th strikeout. Mm-hmm. Then, after that, he struck out more batters than Warren Spahn, Bob Feller, Juan Marichal, Tom Glavin, and Don Drysdale did in their entire mm-hmm. careers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, you got to be kidding me with this guy. How many decades did he play for? Is that it? No, it's not it. Oh, okay. His numbers retired by three teams for crying out loud. Yeah. This yeah. Nolan Ryan. And last night, on Nolan's 77th birthday, he took in the Hoos playing hoops here no in Charlotte. No way. He was Virginia. here? He was here. You're kidding me. Courtside for Virginia Notre Dame. Hoos won by 12. Told you the Hoos were going to win by 12. We had a phone Yeah, call. I know, I know. Nolan Ryan was a guest of, of John Grisham here in Charlottesville. Uh-huh. I don't know if they're uh, talking about, I don't know. A baseball book. Probably a seam head book, yeah. Maybe they want to see Godzilla together. Now, uh, it was uh, so I spent a little time with uh, the Ryan Express, mm-hmm. and it wasn't clear if he knew who I was, but I think there was like an unspoken mutual respect thing going on, mm-hmm. me and Nolan, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, what it, how does Nolan Ryan order his beer? How by the pitcher, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. You can which, keep going, which brings me to my next <laughs> point. <laughs> So, it, all right, you bring out the T-shirt gun, right? Yeah. I uh, I caught a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And then I tossed it to a kid, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm a gangster. Mm-hmm. But the whole time I was thinking about how I needed credit for catching the shirt and giving it to a youngster, and I wasn't, and I wasn't going to get it, which makes me, what kind of guy? Kind of like a good guy? But one who's not an altruistic good guy, uh, just always in search of validation. Uh, a good guy that's a good guy that's calculating. So I walked out of the row so slowly at the end of the game, waiting for the kid's parents to be like, "Thank you so much, hero." Mm-hmm, you know, because mm-hmm. the kid's holding up the T-shirt, taking a picture with it at the end of the game, with mm-hmm. the cord in the background, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking around, just waiting. Dad's got a freaking Irish thing on his shirt, by the way. Nothing. Not a thank you. Nothing. Nothing. I have kids. Ingrid. I could have gone home and given the t-shirt to my kids. Probably an extra large. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked out. I was expecting a little more interaction here. I caught a t-shirt at the game. 15,000 people here. Is that your first t-shirt you ever yeah, I, I, I I don't know. Act like you've been there before. I did. Well, I did because I threw it to a youngster. Okay. And that's the move. That's the veteran move. All right. Now, I'll wrap with this, okay? Virginia... By the way, left for dead a couple weeks ago, now 7-3 and three in the league. What do we always say about them? They can improve. Eyeing approximately a 10th consecutive regular season crown at this point, mm-hmm. Virginia plays Miami at home on Monday. Virginia does not need gimmicks. This is an atmosphere that, that need not be gimmicky, but we're doing a whiteout. Mm-hmm. And Tony Bennett has an opportunity to do one of the funniest things in coaching history. 
we have five, five competent white, white yeah, players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How great would it be? Like yeah, a senior day thing. You roll out yeah. five seniors. It's a whiteout. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me add this to you. We're sticking with the baseball fans. Let's bring Sammy Sosa in. There you go. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Noted white person, Sammy Sosa. <laughs> Anything else on Nolan Ryan? I have something. Yeah, hit How me. does Nolan Ryan order his burgers? <laughs> I don't know. How. Slider, please. <laughs> uh, uh, how? Uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> I had a phone call with Chris yesterday. He said, uh, you want to come to the movie? I said, no, I'm going to go to a basketball game. He said, well, what do you like? I said, well, I haven't seen the line, but Virginia will win by 12. Let yeah. me look at the line. Line was 12 and a half. By God, Virginia wins by 12. So I asked you for advice on that, and I'll ask you guys for advice on another thing. Uh, and I asked you about this last week. If somebody in your neighborhood, and I don't really live in a neighborhood, to be, to be clear. I live in like I live on a gravel road that has probably five houses. Sounds right? Mm -hmm. You sold me the house. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are properties that are large and 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 a, a butt. They, they, they butt each other, yeah. They, yeah. Uh, and there's a number of dogs in the neighborhood, but I don't know the dogs, right? I hear the dogs. I don't know the dogs. And there's this dog that keeps getting loose, running through the woods, coming to my house, and just hanging out. And this has probably been going on for two, three months. And the first time the dog came, we were like, whose dog is this? We look at the tag, we'll call the person. The, the person is not answering for quite a while. It's like, they're not concerned about the dog. Mm. The dog just has like a, like dog knows how to get back. Yeah. And um, we've got a gal who watches my kids who does not have a dog. And every time she's over and the dog comes over, she's like, I love this dog. Can I take the dog home for a little bit? I'm like, no, we gotta return the dog. We return the dog, it happens again. And again, like intermittently, the dog shows up and it's just hanging out all day. So at one point I'm like, hey, Grayson, take the dog. Yeah. Just take the dog home, watch a movie with the dog, do whatever you want with the dog because the owner's not responding yeah. like, promptly. Um, if it happens five, seven times, at a certain <laughs> point, can we just take the dog? My answer Like I'm is... talking about like the person doesn't respond till the next morning about the dog. My answer is absolutely yes. Right? The dog is crying out for help. Right. The dog were happy at home. The dog, the dog would be at home. home. Looking yeah. for companionship. Yeah. Absolutely keep the dog. Keep the dog. Yeah. Next time. Five, seven times. You I, know who I'm talking about. You know, I, 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 plausible deniability, please. Okay. Um, all right. Coaching. We got to talk coaches. Listen, uh, here's my big takeaway from the hiring cycle the last two days. We got old. Mm. We got old in this room, okay? Because we're going to talk about um, Mike McDonald in a second from Baltimore getting the Seattle job. The guy that replaced him is 31. Zach Orr. Zach Orr. 31, 31 years wow. old. Wow. And uh, one of the 90s. That's scary. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And they barely been around for Y2K. Wow. You know, and so this guy's getting hired and Mike McDonald, who's 36, and you said it before, he's young. He looks young. Here's the problem, Mike. We had Shane have. on. Shane looks like us. Shane, I'm like, okay, that's a 38-year-old man. You know, he this McDonald guy looks young. Mike's going to have to carry his credentials around. Yeah. The the facility for a little while until yeah. they figure out who he is because the security guards get, hey, 
No they're going to stop him. Well, no autographs, kid. Right, exactly. You know I mean? But McVeigh was young as hell when he started. This stuff, this stuff can work in today's. McVeigh NFL. had the shark attack. He had the kind of thing. This kid's. I mean, kid. He looks like he's fifteen. Yeah, he looks like he's fifteen, you know? and he's thirty-six. And and Pete Carroll is exactly seventy-two. So if you do the math there, that's two X. That's literally when he was born. You know, Pete's thirty-six years old. So it's it's wild to me that they go defense to defense, but just the the delta in experience and and in years on the job and years on the planet. Uh, I don't think it's a huge impediment to winning, having a young coach, especially with his track record. And obviously those guys loved him. You hear Patrick Queen talk about him. I also think having seven years experience in one place like Baltimore is really invaluable. We always look at these coaches' resumes and they bounce around a lot sometimes, but this guy's been in Baltimore and Michigan for most of the last mm -hmm. seven, eight years of his life. And um, I think when you've got a place that has continuity like Baltimore, and you can learn a lot of the same thing. Your learning's not disrupted year to year. It's great to see different schemes, and it's great to hear from different coaches and learn different things at different stops. But I do think there's something to the continuity of like soaking that building in for six, seven years. And so um, obviously the culmination for him this year was a defensive coordinator where he leads the league in scoring sacks and takeaways, which is something that I don't know if I read this correctly has never been done. Uh, until now I mean to lead the league in those three categories so obviously historically good when you looked at when you talked about Baltimore and Kansas City one of the things I kept hearing was like this is the best team that Patrick Mahomes has played in the playoffs you know if you look at things like DVOA and that sort of thing of course if you watch ball you know that in the playoffs it's different so why are we just judging this team off of regular season DVOA Having said that, that defense did not disappoint per se in that AFC championship game. And I think part of it, when you look at Baltimore from, from their perspective is, this was the one thing we knew we could hang our hat on. Now, Lamar's great, the offense is exciting, um, but that defense played up to their standard in that big spot. And this guy's now walking out the door. And you know, that's, that's a good thing, right? For him to have the momentum. It's like Dan Quinn, we're going to talk about him in a second. Dan doesn't need to prove anything. He, you know, he's got to prove it on the job. But, you know, I, I think if he were a young coach and had that performance in the divisional round, if you're a young coach like Mike, maybe that affects the way an owner thinks about you, but he's got a longer track record. So for McDonald to nail it in the AFC championship, even though I thought Kansas City moved the ball, you know, and, and that sort of thing. That defense is undoubtedly a beast. And I also think relative to the guys they have on the field, I don't mean they don't have great players. They have some great players. And I got in trouble earlier this year because I said they just don't have those superstar names, especially up front. Like before Matt Abike did what he did this year, I don't think most people would think about him as an elite dude. I now put him in that category because that was incredible production. But Clowney was a retread and somebody inconsistent, and he got the best out of him. You talk about Patrick Queen's best year, uh, you know, sticking the landing on adding uh, a stud linebacker that, that costed you a lot and improving your entire defense. Um, Kyle Hamilton using him in, in a, ton, a ton of different ways. Geno Stone being a turnover machine. That secondary is very good, and, and they were ball hawks. But I think what's exciting for Seattle is I don't look at that Baltimore defense and say, you know, they're deeper or better than us on the back end. In fact, I look at it the other way. I, I look at, at Seattle's secondary and say you've got two stud young corners. That's something you can build around. And when you've got a guy who can manufacture pressure, 
you don't need to cut to the front of the line on elite defensive linemen. So they have some very good players up front, some promising young guys like Mafe, Darrell Taylor, who I think is a contract year, but he could be back. Like there are guys up front that I liked on that group. So you know what I'm saying? You don't have to have blue chip edge guys with a guy like Mike. It'd be great to have them down the line, and they, they've been accustomed to having them there. I also think what's interesting is if they become a formidable pass rush unit, and they should because of their corners, that's a loud place to play. You have such an advantage. Think about being a quarterback in front of the 12s. You can barely hear yourself think, and this defense is as multiple as it is. Um, I think this it's going to work out pretty well on the defensive side of the football. The thing you just don't know where the young guy is, What's he going to be like as a head coach? Um, I've heard great things about him. And I also think for for Seattle, making the move in, in division and saying, hey, we're going to buck the trend. The two guys that we're looking up at are offensive gurus. When this cycle started, I wondered if Seattle would say, hey, it's an arms race. We need Ben Johnson, right? But they go with defense. And I wonder how intentional that is. Now, they took their time. Who knows who said no? But, like, I think there's a good setup with a good GM, an established guy, a defensive whiz, and somebody that does something different than a lot of the other, not a lot of, half the other teams, two-thirds of the other teams in division do. And, like, if you look at Shanahan this year, they got after Kyle. Now, the other side of the coin is McVay got after them in Baltimore a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how these matchups play out. The two biggest questions for me, when it comes to a young coach like this, in this scenario specifically is what do you do with Gino, right? You can cut him and save some money. I would not do that. I think if you're a young defensive coach, if you're going to be drafting, moving up to pick the fourth best quarterback in the draft or something like that, or bringing in a veteran, um, that might change, you know, the, the latter option might change the Gino conversation. But I think if you're drafting, you know, let's say you want to go up and get the hometown kid in Michael Penix or something. Gino would be a tremendous leader, a tremendous voice for him, a, a good dude to develop under. And if you're a rookie head coach, you know, I understand the cap situation and you might want to shed some of that. But like, what's it going to feel better looking at next year? Like 10 and 10 and 7? or starting over and running the risk of going backwards because you are not entering a situation where it's like a mushroom cloud. They've been good the last two years. So the expectations are gonna be a little bit higher. Um, I, would, I would use Gino as a bridge, I really would. I, and the second question for me is, what's his staff look like? That's always a big one. We talk about having head coaches in the building, uh, former head coaches to help counsel a young guy. What's the staff look like? I don't think you need to go anywhere to get Penix, he they're at sixteen, and you think he could fall to sixteen? Yeah, no, yeah. Except reports came out that he had an incredibly long hand size, so he might rise. He might rise, big hands. Also, another reason he might rise is like you think about how quickly the first three quarterbacks might go off the board. Like I've seen some mocks where Jaden Daniels is up high, so like I think he'll go three. Yeah, if you're one of those Two. teams that you know that's in the back half of ten or something, and you like Penix, like Seattle might have to move up to get him from sixteen, maybe. I wrote a little ditty. Yeah. Young McDonald got a team, H-A-W-K-S, and on that team he had a D-K, H-A-W-K-S, with a truck stick here and a truck stick there, here a truck, there a stick, everywhere a truck stick, young McDonald got a team, H-A-W-K-S. 
<laughs> to take on old McDonald. How do I die? No, I mean, you know, like that. That, that couldn't <laughs> end quick enough. That, you, I was like, that you guys was are the, serious? Yeah. I yeah. listened to that, I listened like, to 15 I, minutes I'm of Godzilla. I'm cringing. I'm <laughs> cringing. We it's two against Godzilla would have been okay. more fun if everybody in the room was into Godzilla. So it's like it's it's hard to judge the Godzilla section. <laughs> I think you would have liked like that a, song if you had had seventeen edible. A freezing cold, <laughs> a freezing cold vibe magnet sitting next to me during a movie. That is breakout. true. Makes you right. Yeah. I, hey, I think this is a great spot for a quarterback. If I was a guy in the draft, I'd love to be a part with Geno Smith. He's the ups and downs this guy's had in his career. What a great mentor to have. It'd be great. I, I and honestly, I, I I just would do that because I think about and I don't know what assurances have been given to him because a lot of time the talk this plans out and they're like, hey, listen, we're gonna cut Gino. We know you this first year might be tough or whatever, but I, I kind of would be of the school of thought of like, let's stay good until we're great, you know, and and it, that that would that would entail hitting on a quarterback. So you gotta hit on a quarterback, whoever it is. And you take the time to develop him, and you stay relevant until you you hand over the reins. I think, I think that type of of um, of schedule would be nice for this franchise. And well, you you yeah. just talked about filling out their staff. It was reported a little while ago that um, the Alabama offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb might head head back to the head back to Washington. Uh, he's under consideration to become the next OC for the Seahawks. Yeah, he was the play caller. For, for the University of Washington under Kalen DeBoer and went to Alabama oh, how with him as the offensive coordinator. And he was going to start his first season, but now he might jump back to Oh, that's interesting. Washington. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? It just NFL. makes you say, hmm. Real quick oh, you on McDonald. Another, yeah, you got another parable. We need to get this straight from Jump Street. It's capital M and then all the other letters are lowercase. I know, it's weird. Typically, typically you see the capital D... Uh -huh. In the McDonald, yeah, lowercase D McDonald. That's also important. It is. So the 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 other guy that I want to talk <laughs> about is Dan Quinn. Uh, Dan Quinn, obviously, I the other day I hopped on uh, Commanders Reddit because I was like, "How are they feeling?" When Ben Johnson said mm. he wanted to stay, like I just want to see this poor embattled fan base, albeit with Josh Harris at the helm now. Like you're you're what the fuck dude we got to draft a quarterback we're gonna have a defensive head coach people are freaking out about uh, about dan quinn um i just want to say this what's impressive about dan quinn firstly 28 to 3 depending on how you look at it it's the biggest failure or it's also like kind of impressive like that team i was on was really good they were up 28 to 3 on us he got that team ready to play and with under four minutes or about four minutes ago they're up eight and they have a chance to win that game and you know, like I could look at Dan Quinn. He should be walking over in that situation to Kyle Shanahan and saying, hey, motherfucker, we're running the football. And maybe that's the lesson he learned. And I'm sure that conversation has come up in head coaching interviews since. But I don't put all of it on him. I put I put part of it on him. I, I don't look at him as not being viable because of that situation. You know, like for, for the simple fact that, hey, the other guy that blew that lead is in the Super Bowl this week. So like blowing a lead on a big stage as a head coach in the NFL or a coordinator, it's not a death sentence. And I think he's probably learned from it, but also look at it from the standpoint of like, it's also pretty impressive to jump Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl like that. Have you ever seen that happen in any of the other Super Bowls they were in? Now they couldn't hold the lead, and the players on the field made plays. Dan Quinn didn't blow a protection when Dante Hightower came in unblocked, okay? Dan Quinn, 
you know, didn't hold, didn't, didn't get beat for a sack by Trey Flowers. Dan Quinn didn't do a lot of that stuff in the second half. Like the players have to make plays. Um, but I'm just saying, I don't hold that whole thing against him. What you're looking at is a guy who is this close to beating Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl. And I know cl close horseshoes, hand grenades, but he might get another opportunity and he might be way better prepared. And that would be pretty good. And I, I look at Dan Quinn and I say, the thing that impressed me the most looking back at his time in Atlanta was, look at this staff. Don't look any further with, than Kyle Shanahan because when he hired Kyle Shanahan, he wasn't Kyle Shanahan. He, he was not a hot commodity. Their offense was not that good in Cleveland. And, you know, it was probably a head scratcher for some people. I don't want to do revisionist history here, but I don't feel like they were that was a hot name. You've got one head coach on your staff. You've got Raheem Morris on your staff. He, he's now a head coach. Uh, you had you had LaFleur on your staff. He's a head coach. You had LaFleur's brother. Uh, you had McDaniel, head coach now. Um, Jeff Ulbrich on your staff. Jeff Ulbrich probably gets more looks in this cycle if it's not for that team being so shitty right because they were really good like third in epa per, per play up in new york that's really tough to do i mean and and so having a by the way manuel just got an interview with jacksonville he's not going to get the job but um that's another dude he had on his staff so there's a ton of great coaches that he brought on that staff and a lot of them a few of them were not who they are now and so i'm not saying he has a tree but it's pretty cool that he assembled the staff in Atlanta. And I think there is some intentionality about that. And he didn't do it on accident. So he was this close. He's also really into, you know, shooting foul shots before meetings, that whole Pete Carroll thing. I know Bob Myers had a lot to do with this hire, right? The GM of the Warriors, right? Uh, Josh Harris is like, I need a basketball guy. That makes a lot of sense. This guy likes to shoot free throws before the fucking meetings. So uh, never been to a team, though. Never coached on a team where they had to make a decision like this, you know? And I think that's the unique thing is when he was in Seattle and they made the turn to Russ, like, I don't remember if he was there when they drafted Russ. I believe he was. He was there when they drafted Russ. Russ, they didn't have to do what they have to do now. And as much as Caleb Williams might draw a comparison to Russ, you know, in some ways, um, I know people are doing the, the, the lazy Mahomes thing, but say you looked at it like, hey, there's a Russ thing. We can win with a Russ type guy. Whatever you think of his mental makeup relative to Russell Wilson, it's all the same though. They didn't draft in the top five. You know that that guy fell to them. So this is a this is uncharted territory for him on that hand. Um, I also think what's interesting about this is the GM came from San Francisco. Sharp guy. Everybody likes this guy. When you draft in the West Coast system, you think about the system that these guys are playing in, right? Like that's that those are the guys that he he's come up over the last five to six years. The GM from San Francisco, Peters. Adam I think his Peters. name Adam yeah. Peters. You said is good looking. Yeah, he's handsome. Good looking guy. Uh, he's used to West Coast offense personnel offensively. Now I'm not saying like guys can't play in a West Coast offense and, and you know vice versa, but he comes from that school of thought, even as a personnel guy. And Dan Quinn, where he had a lot of success in Atlanta, was Shanahan. And so when I look at Eric Bieniemy, I wonder how he factors in because Eric, I think, and he's one of these guys whose name has cooled off a little bit. He was a really hot name and I didn't hear about him in this cycle. Even with the first half of the season, the way it went for them offensively, I think the second half didn't go as well. Um, so maybe he cooled off in that way. But are you going to pick a West Coast guy offensively to run the show? I, I'm not sure, but I look at that and I say, hey, maybe the reading the tea leaves, the successes that, that Adam Peters had 
and the successes that Dan Quinn have, has had has been with an offense and a system uh, that is more West Coast. So a lot of excitement. There are some questions. Nine picks and 70-plus million in cap space with six in the top 102 picks. And I think this is something that gets lost on some people. He knows Dallas. Like, he knows Dallas in the in the short term. You know, as long as McCarthy's there, he learned a lot about what McCarthy likes. You know, if Dak's still there, he knows Dak. If the the pieces are still there, he knows that. So that's a bonus. I'm not saying that's why you hire him, but that's a bonus. As a Giants fan, yeah, I love it. You love it. And um, I think that says something. It's scary when you're going to pair – a guy, Adam Peters, highly respected with with the young, modern, cutting edge offensive mind, and you thought Ben Johnson to Washington was oh, yeah, it would be a was scary. going to happen. I can see that being scary. And and the older coach, who's a retread, is is just it's not as um, not as not as scary, not to as put terrifying it, to to put it lightly. And I think. A lot of um, maybe not great coaches have almost won Super Bowls. I think a lot no of question. not very great coaches have won Super Bowls. Mike McCarthy, speaking of, uh, but how many of them, of them played Switzer's Bill Belichick? Another twenty-eight to three. Yeah, who are the guys you're talking about? Um, of, of not very good coaches. Yeah, that almost won Super Bowls. Um, Mike McCarthy won one. Right. Uh, Barry Switzer won one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Kubiak, sorry, won one. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, it's not just he almost won a Super Bowl. No question. Therefore, he's a great hire. McCarthy had Rodgers. Uh, Kubiak had Manning. And I know, and an well, lead defense. I know you already said it. And I would say Dan Quinn had Kyle Shanahan. And I mean, you could say, I mean, we could do conversation. But the point is, too, like when you're talking about a guy that, like, Atlanta came out of nowhere, they're not out of nowhere, but he built that thing. You know, like, I know they had Matt Ryan and he existed and the whole thing, but. 28 to 3 up in that game. I'm not saying it's automatically going to work out because he's been close to winning a Super Bowl, but relative to some of the unknowns, like this guy at least has a floor where, hey, the year after the Super Bowl, they still got back to the dance. I mean, a lot of coaches can't say that. They got back to the dance um, and lost to us in yeah. the uh, wild card round. So they lost to the Super Bowl champions the next year. Two years in a row, they lose to the Super Bowl champions. I'm not making excuses for the guy. All I'll say is, like, I like having some some floor that I can identify. You know how after the breakup, you date, you date the opposite gal? Yeah. This just feels somewhat close to a Ron Rivera hire. Golly, I think there's a difference between Dan and Ron. But I hear you. I mean, it's the same thing with – at least the McDonald hire is way different in age, right? So kind of like you Young McDonald. Did young, you hear the I did hear the young the, McDonald. The Diddy. You got one for Washington? Uh, not yet. No. You know, I, I thought with Q-U-I-N-N. Washington. <laughs> I thought Washington would go a little bit younger and a little bit more um vibrant, maybe you yeah. could say, because of the new ownership and um but I it looks like guys like playing for Dan. That yeah. defense like playing for him and and got the hat. Micah Parsons loves him, so you follow him wherever he goes. Now we'll see about that. But uh he did uh Jahan Dotson uh responded to that post and said, Hey, you know, maybe come be a commander. I got a spare bedroom. Yep. And Michael I'll give Parsons, you my main bedroom. I'll stay in the spare Michael bedroom. Michael Parsons posted a, a picture of him sacking Sam 
Howell yeah. this year. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I also like sacking Sam Howell. And when, from the Dallas end of things, we should look at that, but go ahead. Uh, you're not going to like it, it's, so maybe we should stick with the Dallas okay. end of things. Let's stick with the Dallas end of things. Okay, so for the Dallas end of things, I think it's interesting because they could call up like their passing coordinator, Al Harris, who's been a hot name, and I love Al. Um, but also, if you're Mike McCarthy and you're going into your last year of your contract with everything swirling around you, like, do you really want to hire a rookie defensive coordinator? The last three, I think, were all former head coaches. So these are all guys who have been head coaches, not necessarily all successful head coaches, but they're guys who have been head coaches. So I kind of wonder, is 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 a Zimmer possible or a Vrabel? Um, I'd or, hate – I'd or hate Brandon for, Staley. Or Brandon Staley. I or think Brandon Bill Staley Belichick. would be – Belichick, if you really think he's going to deal with the circus down there and being a defensive coordinator, I would love to see it. If he would take the job, I think you would do it. Oh, you would do it if he would take the job in a heartbeat. You know, but also I've always said like defensive coordinators who get fired um, as head coaches actually perform pretty well. I know you got the Matt Patricia counterexample. I'll ask for some more. Um, but there is a long list of good coordinators in the league right now who got fired as head coaches and came back and called good defense. And so fucking Brandon Staley, the way we think of him is this cartoonish head coach. That's not going to be who he's going to be if you hire him again. I mean, it's Spags had a really hard time as a head coach. Not all his fault. Now, he's been a mainstay in Kansas City. I mean, like the one of the best defensive coordinators of our generation. Um, and also speaks to the variability of having the pieces because when you look at Spags, he's also been in New Orleans where they had a historically bad run. So it's hard to pin pin these things down. But I would say I bet they lean experience if if history tells you anything. But who knows? I don't know how much they love Al Harris you know, and, or somebody like that. Wouldn't giving a former head coach the D.C. position make it make McCarthy's job harder because he has a uh, see I, like that's, Jim, Jerry that, has a yeah I could go with this guy next year that's the problem I mean I, and I don't know how big of a problem it is because I think if shit hits the fan he's probably getting fired anyway so it doesn't matter if the guy's in the building or somewhere else but it does give you if you hire a, a, a retread head coach to be the defensive coordinator Jerry has a contingency plan to finish a season that's not going great right if it's Vrabel and you're two and four Vrabel's the I interim think Vrabel the is the is the you don't want your friends to be too hot, right? You know, it's just if Vrabel comes in, Vrabel's that hot friend, and Vrabel's got magnetism. You see him palling around with Dak yes. after the game, and Mike's like, wait a minute. Yes, exactly. Zimmer, maybe less so, because you don't think about Zimmer as like a hot name right now to be a head coach. We've kind of seen that movie. But either way, pretty interesting. Uh, these two hires, defensive head coaches, save the best for last, right? It was all offense until until this little uh, little stretch. Let's get to Shane. Shane Steichen, head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. On the other side of things, offensive genius. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Order online during the Pizza Pizza pregame all day on NFL game days and Pro Bowl Sunday and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Put some in the fridge. I like cold pizza. One of my favorite coaches, Eagles fans, uh, you'll remember him. And uh, Rob Gronkowski knows him as Shane Spikeman. 
Coach, have you ever heard Gronk call you Shane Spikeman on my dad's show? I actually did hear that. Uh, whatever what that was that year ago or whatever. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Fox. Yeah, it was, it was. It was pretty funny. A couple guys sent it to me. It was pretty funny. Yeah, that's what we've been uh, we've been calling you on the show. But Shane Steichen, one of the best young coaches in the league, had a lot of fun watching your team this year. Just really cool being able to go to Baltimore. I'm watching Baltimore this weekend. Uh, one of the most dominant teams in the league. You guys go to Baltimore early in the season. Backup quarterback, backup running back, guys stepping up on the road. How big was that win for you guys? And do you feel like guys learned something about themselves and got more confident as a result? Yeah, I mean, it was big. Obviously, going into Baltimore is a tough place to play. Uh, anyone that, you know, goes and plays there knows that. Um, yeah, but to get that one on the road week three uh, was huge uh, with our guys. And it just kind of showed the fight, you know, and the resilience there. It was a back-and-forth game. And, you know, to pull it out there and, you know, get a game-winning field goal by Mike Gay uh, to end it, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good win for us for sure. With uh, with Coach McDonald, who just took the job in Seattle, like how challenging was that getting ready for a defense like that? And can you can you talk to how how successful he was so early? Yeah, I mean, ton of credit. I don't know him personally, uh, but obviously going against him uh, and his scheme and what he does is very impressive. You know, he mixes coverages. He brings pressures. Um, you know, he makes you think, you know, as a coach, you know, you obviously want to play that chess match back and forth uh, with him. Uh, but the success he had uh, these past two years, um, you know, awesome for him to get that Seattle job. Uh, you know, it's 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 awesome to see. You're a younger dude. Well, how old are you, coach? We're all the same age. We're all, are we all the same I'm age? I'm glad you keep calling him young because we're all the same Holy, age. Isn't that crazy? We're sitting here doing a podcast and my man is like. He's younger than you. Running a franchise. <laughs> the other, like, what are we doing with our lives? All right. But coach. Coach, like, you know, he's a young coach, just got the job in Seattle. You've gone through this. I thought your staff was really well put together. And one of the things that obviously jumps out at me first is having Gus Bradley and having an older guy like Nick, who you know well, just got Vic back in the building, Fangio. How important is it to have a guy who's been a head coach and even more so on the other side of the ball. So it's like you guys can talk about your blind spots and, and stuff like that. What's that relationship like? It's great, you know, to, to have Gus Bradley here, like you said, former head coach, you know, had a chance to work with them prior uh, when he was coordinator in L.A. and I was coordinator there. Uh, so got to be around him there and the person he was uh, and, and is uh, just the way the energy he brings uh, to our football team and having that experience as a head coach is good. It's, a, it's great to have a guy to lean on, uh, you know, when things come up around the building um, that probably he's may have dealt with, you know, in the past uh, to bounce some ideas off him uh, is huge. So to have that veteran presence on the defensive side of the football for me has been awesome. And then having the former players in there, you know, like a legend like uh, Reggie Wayne, uh, the guy could do, could do anything he wants with his time, but he decides to go into coaching, which, of course, as you know, is a really tough business. Yeah. He doesn't want to kick his feet up and retire. He, want, he wants to coach. And then you've got Cato June. How great is that having guys in the building that the players are going to respond to and can back you up on things? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely huge. Obviously, a guy like Reggie Wayne, you know, his resume speaks for itself, what he did on the field and now being a coach. Um, you know, is awesome. So when he speaks to those wideouts, obviously he's done it at a high level. So that's, you know, instant respect right there. And then Cato on the flip side of it, you know, playing here, both of them being former Colts uh, in the building is huge uh, for our players. Shoot, they got their pictures on the wall and they're coaching and they're in the wide receiver room and the linebacker room and their picture on the wall, you know, up there. Uh, so it's awesome to have both those guys in our building. That's great. And, uh, and one of our favorite players, Gardner Minshew, 
who I would contend is the best dressed man in, in football. He didn't even make like the top 10 the other day. I saw it, but uh, the top 10 a, list? well, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't even on the graphic. Like ESPN put out like a, who's the best dressed guy in the NFL. And I could not find Gardner Minshew anywhere. Now he did not get snubbed for the pro bowl. So I can, I can say pro bowler Gardner Minshew. What's it like coaching him? What's your favorite, you know, kind of Minshew quirk. And do you think he's going to be a coach one day? Cause I, I kind of get that vibe from him. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely probably will, but I think he's going to play a lot uh, a lot more years in the National Football League before that happens. Um, but having Gardner here uh, was huge for us. Obviously, with Anthony going down and him having to step up, you know, in that starter role, uh, you know, he's obviously done it. You know, his rookie year in Jacksonville had success. Uh, but what he did, you know, for our team and our franchise this year uh, was huge. And uh, just the energy he brings every day, the preparation that he puts into it, um, obviously it showed on Sunday and, uh, he did a hell of a job and shoot. Like I said, now he's a pro bowler. Do you have a nickname coach for Jim Bob Cooter? I feel like when you interact with a guy who's named Jim Bob Cooter every day, <laughs> I shorten it. I mean, do you shorten it? Is he JB? Who is JBC. he in the building? Some people call him JBC. I call him Jim Bob. Um, but I'll say this about Jim Bob. Uh, one of the brightest coaches I've ever been around. Um, and like I've said this, you know, in my previous deals, but I think it's only a matter of time before he gets a shot, uh, being a head coach, you know, we have some success, you know, next year, uh, he'll definitely be a hot candidate next year for sure. We're all contemporary. So I'm curious if you played Madden, if you played the NCAA football video game, because we talk to coaches all the time. Dan Campbell says, you know, things slowed down for him enormously in year one, but stuff like clock management, et cetera. You sometimes need to rely on a guy in your ear. Are you of the video game generation? Do you already have a leg up on these guys because you've experienced it already? Well, if I knew how to use the buttons on the Xbox controller, I might be all right. So my son, he plays it. He's seven years old. He's all into it, and he'll wear me out because I don't know which one. I was like, I hit the X, but it should be A. You know, where's the timeout button? It's right there in the middle. You know, (laughs) I got a PlayStation for the first time in a decade since we were all in college. That was the last time I played and I've been playing for three days. My seven year old wants to play and I'm like, now I'm just warning you. I'm going to kick your ass. He beat me 14, 12 in the first half. Okay. And I said, go see your mom. Next game. I'm going to be, I'm going to be for real. I do play with the Colts and I really like your playbook coach. It's been a lot of fun. Anthony Richardson uh is actually on the updated rosters because he's healthy on madden uh how do you keep him healthy i think like i i love the guy i loved him coming out i saw what you guys saw you could see it right away he's got those differentiating skill sets how do you help him walk the line so to speak and use those skill sets but stay healthy yeah i think that's a great question i get asked that a lot you know obviously deal with you know jalen hurts and philly the same type of deal guy a guy that can run around and make plays you don't want to take that away from him. you know that's what makes those guys special and uh, obviously that's a part of our game offensively with him running the football but you know there's a time and a place you know when to go get it shoot is it a got to have it situation where you got to go get it yeah you got to go get it but you know it's first and second down and you know it might it might be second and five but, shoot, I'm going to get those two extra yards and take a big hit. Make it second and five. You know what I mean? It's all right to be second and five and second and three, and we'll, and we'll live we'll live with that. So those are conversations, you know, that we've had, obviously, when he got here and ongoing. And, you know, we'll work through those this offseason again. But, obviously, uh, staying healthy in that position uh, is huge. You know, in Buffalo, they have that thing where if Josh slides, somebody, somebody has to wear a jock strap to practice. 
you know, you could incentivize. Yeah, it's like if Josh actually gets down in slides, they, they put Dawson Knox in a damn jockstrap <laughs> and run him around. I don't know why guys think that's a perk, <laughs> but everybody thinks it's like it. Maybe you do something like that, but I love Anthony Richardson. I can't wait to see him healthy again. Young quarterbacks, you've had Herbert, you've had Hertz, you've had Richardson. Um, we see a lot of these guys who can move, and you also see a lot of guys who don't take a lot of snaps under center. Yeah. And I wonder how hard that is, like what goes into that? Because I don't hear coaches talking about like, is it a foregone conclusion that guys that take gun snaps their whole career in college are not going to be able to take snaps under center? Or does it just depend on the, the athlete and the player? I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, taking a snap under center, you know, even though you've been doing it in the gun your whole life, I mean, these guys are athletes, right? They're professional athletes that play quarterback in the National Football League that should be able to take a snap under center. So I think that if that's part of your game plan, uh, and you want to, you know, implement under center stuff. I think it's good to have both under center, shotgun, pistol, do all that stuff. You know what I mean? And kind of keep defenses off balance, uh, obviously within the game plan. So motions become a big part of the NFL. It's almost like now, if you're not running motion, people are like, "What's wrong with you?" And you know, it wasn't like that back in the day. I know there are man zone identifiers that you guys are looking for, but what else can you glean from motion for people at home? And then also, are there young quarterbacks that struggle? Uh, and would prefer a static picture, and how do you get them out of that mindset? Um, I think there's there's both. Obviously, motion can help if it gives you an answer defensively, but also it does. It creates you know confusion a little bit on defense um, with motion and a guy. They got to make adjustments, whether rock and roll and safeties, whatever that may be. I think uh, you use motion if you know it's going to help you, and uh, obviously it does create confusion as well at the same time. So it's just kind of how you you know you build your offense, and some some plays might not have motion. Like shoot, if we line up in this, we know what we're getting, and uh, we feel good about it. But shoot, we're going to motion this to hopefully get this adjustment. And shoot, if they don't adjust to that, hopefully there's miscommunication on the back end, and uh, you create a big play off it. With Philip Rivers, because you had Philip, he, I, I don't know if he's one of the last of the great pocket quarterbacks, quote unquote. Uh, but the game's changing now where it's almost like a guy that works from in the pocket and only works from in the pocket can be devalued a little bit. What's the conversation around that evolution and why would somebody like Phillip Rivers still be able to play in today's game? Well, being around Phillip, uh, the smartest guy I've ever been around, um, you know, playing that position, just how cerebral he was. I mean, he saw the picture happen before it happened. Um, you know, the way he was able to stand in the pocket on third down and deliver it on third and nine with the guy, you know, barreling down his chest and boom, getting that ball out and throwing from the different arm angles. Um, I think his processing speed was just super, super special. And uh, I think that's what made him really good, uh, along with his accuracy. And, you know, creating plays doesn't always have to be, oh, you know, he creates a ton of plays outside the pocket moving around. You can create him with inside the pocket. And that's where he was so special. You know, I mean, he could feel, boom, maybe a game, a TE stunt come, and it's like, oh, shoot, I got to sidestep this guy, and he could feel it. Obviously, he's feeling the rush. He's not seeing it. His eyes were always downfield. And uh, the way he was able to do that and throw with accuracy and throw and hit the checkdowns like he did, I mean, he made a living on throwing, you know, checkdowns into these backs, you know, in his career, you know, throwing to Sproles and those guys, and then Austin Eckler, you know, as Austin came in the league. Um, but he had a great, great – you know, understanding of the game. I mean, it was just super special. And uh, I think that's part, part of what made him really special. What impressed you most about C.J. Stroud this year, watching him from the other sideline? Are there any traits that 
he possesses that you think Anthony does as well? Yeah, I think uh, him within the pocket was really special. You know, um, he could create outside the pocket, uh, and he had his eyes down the field. He'd create those big ones. Sometimes he'd make them with his legs, but he'd also create them getting outside the pocket and making these, you know, 30-yard in-cut throws out, you know, moving outside the pocket. And I think that's big to create the explosive plays, and he did a really nice job with that all year. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun to see, you know, these young quarterbacks come in and have success. Obviously, he's in our division, so – we yeah. got twice a year, and and uh, but you know our guy, we're, we're I mean Anthony, I'm I'm more more than excited about Anthony Richardson, um, what he brings to the table from his playmaking ability. You know the first four weeks that he played, the big plays that he was able to create. You know the the touchdowns with his legs that he was able to create. Um, can't wait to get him back on the field this fall for sure. Yeah, the South a year ago looked totally different. Now it's I mean this thing is one of the most exciting places to watch football and some great quarterbacks. With C.J. Stroud and with anybody, I mean, like I've heard people before in the NFC West talk about, hey, we got a draft to, to take care of Kittle or we've got a draft with Debo in mind or we have to draft with this player in mind. Like when you have a special quarterback who's, uh, who's a guy you're going to see twice a year, does that dictate maybe some of the personnel moves you make and how might that, that, that transpire? Yeah, I mean, you always look into that stuff, right? Um, I think the quarterback is so unique. You know, obviously, position specific, like to wide receivers, yeah, it's like, shoot, we got to have a corner to cover this guy, you know, twice a year. But obviously, the quarterbacks are all unique in their own way, right? Some guys are more running around guys. Some guys are the pocket guys. And I think that just goes with, you know, playing, you know, the position. So obviously, you got to adapt you know, defensively to those guys on how they play, you know, because you play them only twice a year in your division, but you also got to, you know, deal with the other teams that you're going to play, you know, the other 12, you know, times a year. So, um, yeah, you go through that process and uh, obviously you want to put together the most talented roster you can so you be, can be successful. Well, I mean, talking about personnel, I love watching your receivers because they're just big physical guys and you've spoken to Pittman's toughness and you've got – Big tight ends. Uh, one of them we we knew from uh, University of Virginia, Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods, and and you know, like I thought, adding a downs it's so important, and I don't think a lot of people talk about this enough. Where, you know, I heard Brandon Staley talk about, hey, we want our guys to look like the Chicago Bulls, but I don't think people realize the Bulls had, you know, two guards, and they had their Steve Kerr's, and they had their, like, talk about the. The diversity of body types you need outside and like you know the different functionalities of having those different guys yeah i think it's always good i mean obviously it ain't it ain't bad to have two of the same guys every once in a while either you know what i mean yeah, if they're, they're really good really explosive players shoot we'll take yeah. two of those as well um but to have you know the big body and Pittman is huge right i mean he's a reliable guy that's tough physical shows up every day and shoot when he goes out on sunday he performs he performs every sunday and then you got your josh downs you know, in the slot that can do different things for you. Um, so it is good to have different body types that can do in different things. But like I said, it ain't it ain't always bad to have, you know, two of the same body types. That way it's like, hey, shoot, I know this guy can run this route like this, but so can this guy. So shoot, this week we're throwing this route to him, but next week we're going to throw it to this guy so you can keep the defense off, off balance a little bit, uh, knowing that, the, hey, this guy always runs this route and that's what they like to do with them. Well, shoot, they run this route with this guy too. You know, so shoot, we don't know yeah. what's coming sometimes. So that definitely helps. No question. That's it. The the you know that you basically played in a playoff game this year. I mean, I, I've been calling it a playoff game. You know, I've been saying, hey, the Colts went to the playoffs. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I, I know 
what those games feel like for teams, and that's valuable. And it comes down to the end. Listen, we've been talking about a lot of fourth down stuff. I thought it was the right call. You know, it's the, the play's there to be made. You know, how, you know how it goes, and we see examples of that all the time. In the weeks following, do you feel any differently, or do you stick to your guns and say, hey, that's who we are in that situation? No, I mean, obviously, you know, it's just with anything, right? When something doesn't work, you always think about it, especially in that situation. It's a huge game, and, uh, you know, the look was there, and, you know, it didn't work out. And, and that's part of the National Football League, and obviously you want to create those and, and get those conversions. Uh, but, you know, as the head coach and calling that, you know, you live with them. And, uh, but, yeah, it's tough. She, like you said, it was. It was a playoff, playoff atmosphere in there. Um, it was electric in there. It was loud. And uh, just to, you know, to come up that short, it definitely hurts, you know, and uh, it's, it's part of the game. But uh, shoot, hopefully myself and everyone, right, we learn, let's not, you know, next year, let's do, let's do a hell of a job and let's not, you know, let's try not to be in that position yeah. uh, to where, shoot, you're going into week 17 and hopefully you're already in, you know? Yeah, yeah. With, uh, with analytics, we talk about this all the time. Like some people at home make it too simple. It's like, hey, you've got this tool, you just use it at will. I always say it's like it's about the person holding the tool. You have this tool. You have to take into account certain contextual factors within a ball game. You know, whether it's, hey, I got a defensive tackle down or my guard's getting, getting whooped or that sort of thing. Like, can you speak to what people miss about analytics? It's not like paint by numbers. You, you, you just hit it pretty good. Um, okay, that, that means a lot. <laughs> All right, there we yeah, go. Pretty good. Yeah, no doubt. There, there are charts and shoot. Yeah, I listen to them and stuff, but you also got to feel the game. You know, you got yeah. to the game. What's the score? Shoot. Is this a time to go for it on fourth down or shoot? This is a time to kick a field goal and go up two scores. You know, yeah. you got to feel the game, feel the defense is playing, feel the offense is playing. You know, if you're rolling uh, in the game and you're in the second, third quarter and you feel good about the call and you're rolling and you got confidence in it and it's fourth and four at whatever the, you know, 44 yard line, and you feel good about it. Great. Go for it. You know what I mean? And obviously it's all, it's about results too, right? You go for it and you make it, it's it's great, you know, and you don't. Obviously it's like, shoot, should they have punted there? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but you got to have a philosophy and what you believe in. But I also do believe in, you know, the flow of the game and, and playing in the moment a little bit as, as the drive's getting going. You know, you're kind of having those conversations, looking at the scoreboard. Hey, shoot, if we get in this situation, hey, we're probably a go here. But if we get in this situation and we're down in there, shoot, let's take the points. Look at the scoreboard. Shoot, we'll go up two scores. Let's, let's, let's take the points. Yeah, I I wanted to talk about the Super Bowl coming up and and just in general that experience because you've been through it and I wanted to start with the team that you know a lot of these listeners are fond of, the Philadelphia Eagles. They loved you your time there. I know that you have great relationships with those people. I know that you're a New Heights listener, so we got to get you in the loop here on Greenlight. But uh, with Jason Kelsey, the player. I don't think people understand how much does he change what you can do in the run game. You know, I look at certain tackles like Penne Sewell and like Trent Williams and the things they can do getting out on the perimeter. Not every center can run like Jason Kelsey, especially not at his age. How differentiating was having that guy? Uh, he was he was he was special. Uh, one of the you know most special players I've been around. You know, since I've been coaching in the NFL. You know, those two years I was with him, just the way he played the game, the way he prepared for the game. Um, was phenomenal. And like you said, what you could do with him in the run game and him getting out in space and pulling and getting up on the second level and sometimes even the third level, you know what I mean, on screens and getting out, uh, it, it was it was really special to see. I mean, he's, he's, he's very, very rare, uh, you know, in what he does at his position, for sure. And with Nick, what would you say his best quality is? You know, like I feel like any great coach I've been around, I could say like, hey, this was the personality trait or this was the thing that differentiated him. 
you've known him a while. Yeah. What what do you think makes him special enough that they've stuck with him and they believe in him? And you know, y'all got to the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, heck yeah, I, I love Nick. Uh, very demanding. Um, accountability is huge with him. Um, you know, he wants things done a certain way, which is that's their, your job as a head coach, and there's a standard. And uh, he set that standard, and you've seen what he's done in three years. His record speaks for itself. You can't say enough. I mean, it's hard to do what he's done in the past three years on any team. And uh, it's a credit to him. It's a credit to his coaches. Um, and what they've done there the last three years is pretty freaking special. You're close with Nick. You're close with the guys. Would you would rather see them go 15-2, and two, scoring 35 <laughs> points a game this year? Or... Five and twelve scoring thirteen, like we miss our guy. If I'm him, I'm saying five and twelve. But yeah. he, I, I, <laughs> no, I'm telling you what, I rooted like them for crazy this year. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I wanted them to do the best they could, and shoot, they had a hell of a run. They won shoot eleven games. It's hard. It's hard. That's it's so crazy. hard. It's it's hard to win nine, ten in this league, and to win eleven, and then the year before won what they did, and then we went nine and three playoff appearances in a row. I mean, that's that's special now. That is yeah, and and for a team like yours that you you plan on competing deep into the postseason, I think like you can point to a situation like that and say, hey, that's a great team. You you see how being on that treadmill that long can wear on a team, and you know like it, it is a hard challenge. That's why so few teams get back. So, I think a credit to them getting to where they got, even with the end of the road looking the way it did. Um, yeah, coach, let's put you on the competition committee for the coming year. You can do whatever you like, point of emphasis, be it player protection or competitive balance. And then with this conversation, of course, we have to talk about the tush push, of which you may be an architect. Should that play be in the game or not? I mean, shoot, I, I'll say this about the tush push. Obviously, it's taken off, and we all know that. But the tush push has been around for a long time. When teams are backed up on the half-yard line, what are they doing back there? They're running victory sneak. Like, that's what yeah. teams do. We just – the Philadelphia Eagles brought it to the field to play. So it's been around. It's not like it's it's been around probably for who knows. You know what I mean? Probably before we always talk about, oh, man, hey, uh, let's run this play. Man, they, I don't know if this has ever been done. Oh, yeah, it's probably been done in 1965 <laughs> yeah. at some point, you know. So yeah. it, it's probably been around. But, shoot, uh, you know, they – obviously Philly does it better than anyone. And – uh you know, to me, to have an opinion whether they keep it or not, that's the competition committee. I know you put me on the spot, but. Get bigger guys, though. That's my argument. It's like all these other teams, they get hurt doing it. You know, it's like if it was such a cheat code, everybody else would be doing it. You got to get bigger guys. You just got to have Jordan Mailata and Lane and, and Jason well, Kelsey. Well, shoot, Quentin like, Nelson, Ryan Kelly. And I know, Richardson that's what I'm saying. He got some big, big ass yeah. dudes. What was it when you first heard about, what was the genesis as it pertained to the Eagles when it was, when it came to that toast push? Like, what was the first time you ever heard the idea in that building? Uh, uh, well, we were, I don't know, we were in a meeting and Nick was like, hey, let's put a pusher back there. I'm like, all right, cool. So we did. <laughs> and then it was like, you know, and I was like, hey, what if we did this with it? And, you know, it just kind of built in. It's like, let's put two guys back there. Well, sure. All right, we can do it. And then it kind of just took on a life of its own, you know? That's so good. That's so good. It's simple. It's simple shit. All right. Um, we've been talking a lot about the, the, the rigors of being a head coach who's, you know, you're trying to do your job or, or being a coordinator, trying to do your job. It's a playoff run. It's an imperfect setup because there's no way to push some of these interviews back, but they happen during the playoffs. Now, you, you had the bye week, so you're able to conduct that interview during the bye week. Like, what are the challenges of that thing? Because I think, you know, players can appreciate y'all are in a tough situation. But it's also probably 
not ideal for y'all. Like, what are the, the challenges of trying to get that next job while you're currently giving everything to your players? Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, obviously everyone, some, you know, a lot of guys have goals to be head coaches in the National Football League, which is great. I think, you know, those summers leading into when you think you might have a chance and your name, you know, is getting out there is you kind of do the work in the summer. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you get your break and you kind of put your plan together. And so if it does come up and you get the opportunity, you're kind of, you kind of built it, you know, and you're ready for that opportunity. And uh, obviously it, with my situation, you know, we had the bye week so it worked out, you know, you get the bye week So, you know, you got your Friday afternoons that you have off a little bit after you're done with practice. Um, you know, so instead of doing the family dinner night, it was, you know, an interview night. Um, and then obviously, you know, doing the second round of interviews after the NFC championship game, you know, you got two weeks to prepare. So you go through your week of preparation and then you got your Friday and Saturday afternoon like you would. So that's how it was for me, you know, and then that was it. And just, and then you got, you, you go, you go from there. Last couple here, coach, what's the, what, you know, with, with the Super Bowl coming up, Obviously, Vegas is a whole other challenge, and you know that. You coached at UNLV. Went to right? UNLV. Went, went, went to UNLV. So you've, you've been a player in Vegas. These guys, they, it's the first time in their life they've been a player in Vegas for a week for most of them. But coaching in Vegas um, this week for the Super Bowl, what's going through these coaches' heads? Like, what are the challenges of game planning for a Super Bowl relative to a regular season game? Or is it all the same? Yeah, I think uh, obviously this this week is probably was huge for both teams, right? You know, they're at their home, you know, spots getting ready and probably going through their normal week of preparation uh, and going through it. And then, you know, this week going out to Vegas, um, they'll be locked in again. And now they get their second week of ramp up. Um, so they're getting their, you know, their game plans probably in, I'm sure, you know, heading out there this weekend, they'll probably be in and then they'll just touch it up next week. Now, I don't know how they all, you know, both those teams are going to do it. But, yeah. uh, you know, they get to touch it up and revamp it next week. So you really get, you know, two full weeks uh, to get ready for this thing and make sure it's all dialed in. We are heading to Vegas as a podcast. There are uh, surprisingly eight to ten people that work on this this thing as if it demands that many bodies. Uh, but we like to travel together. And I'm just wondering, with you having gone through this whole thing, how do I want to travel my players? What do they need to wear? The whole thing. I was saying maybe the guys should all wear suits on the plane because it is a business trip for our podcast. How would you have your staff, if you were me, dress on the airplane out to Vegas? You, need, you guys need to get uh, sweatsuits that say green light. <laughs> you guys look like a team together. So you got That's your hoodie awesome. on, you got the green light on the back, boom, and we roll, we get off the plane. You guys are a team. I like that because that means you you prioritize comfort. I would have liked that, Coach. Uh, and then give us three things we have to do in Vegas. I know I'm hitting Old Town Friday night. Uh, I, I definitely like uh, – I'd like to get out to the sphere. I don't think you've done that yet. But what are your favorite things in Vegas for somebody that maybe wants to do something a little different? Well, it's interesting because it's, it, I, you know, looking at what's going on there, there's so much new stuff out there. Yeah, it's, crazy. it's been growing like crazy. And I have been out there, you know, I haven't really been out there and hung out in freaking, I don't even know how many years. Um, yeah. But you got to go to a nice dinner. You got to go to a nice dinner. There's too many nice restaurants uh, to not go to. Uh, you got to hit up a show. Okay. Those are the two things for sure. You got to do a show and you got to do a dinner. Okay, showing a dinner. Well, my wife's going to like that. If I had a third one for you, shoot, I don't know. That wheel thing looks pretty cool, but I'm not really – I haven't been on that thing. The Top Golf, Top Golf's everywhere, but I heard the Top Golf there is pretty sweet. It's next to the okay. street. But yeah, you got you got to do a show and a dinner for sure. Those are the two mandatories. A nice okay, cool. Show. 
That's my play. That's my playbook, as dictated by Coach Shane Steichen. Uh, we'll stay on script. Yeah, we'll stay on script, Coach, and uh, we'll get these guys in the jumpsuits. Last question, you know, maybe one of the uh, the most controversial figures of the 2023 season, but we both know this guy. He's a legend in Philly, Dom, Big Dom DeSandro. What are your thoughts on Dom? Dom is phenomenal. Dom might be one of the best dudes I've ever been around in any NFL building. Uh, shoot, if you need something Dom done, Dom's going to take care of it for you. I know that. How many wins is he worth? Dom, shoot, he's going to get you at least 12, 13 every year. <laughs> That's what they were missing, Big Dom. So, yeah, yeah, we love Big Dom. Dom's going to love it because I said, I said, shoot, I'm going on the show. He's like, no way, that's my guy. Dude, I love Dom. Dom, we got some good stories. Great job this year, man. A lot of fun to watch you coach. And, uh, and best of luck this year. And if you, I hear you like to fish, and I know you're talking about Montana. We are up in uh, – we're on Flathead Lake. It's a lot of great fishing up there, so look me up if you ever get up there. I love it. Love it. it sounds awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Okay, brother. Thanks, Take Coach. it easy. Thanks to Toyota and the brand new Toyota Tacoma. Next week, we'll be broadcasting from the NFL Media Center in Las Vegas from the most badass set in all of Radio Row. That's right. The all-new 2024 Toyota Tacoma with its trail-dominating power legendary capability and captivating style is arriving in dealerships and it's arriving at the 2024 super bowl in las vegas as we are helping toyota launch the all-new 2024 toyota tacoma that's right it's going to be right next to me you'll be able to see the all-new best-selling mid-size pickup in america featured on the green light podcast set recorded from the tacoma content studio the all-new Toyota Tacoma dares you to come out and play. The all-new 2024 Toyota Tacoma, the most powerful Tacoma ever, is your chance to experience trail-dominating power, legendary capability, and captivating style. It's time to make your off-roading dreams come true. With the 2024 Toyota Tacoma, a truck that's tough on the trail and easy on the eyes, electrifying power, maximum torque, the all-new Toyota Tacoma is the most powerful Tacoma ever. Toyota, the official automotive partner of the NFL. What do you think, guys? Suits? No, I was very happy about Shane's answer. Should I put him in suits? Don't do it. I yeah. can put him in suits. Like fuck, I will fly I'm commercial. Bring him. <laughs> He's going to fly I, commer I commercial. I think he's sweet to roll with suits. I'm not Agreed. on the plane with I you agree. guys. But I, I agree, Reed. No top button unbuttoned either, like yeah. Greg Olson. I mean, yeah. this is real deal. This is a real business deal. trip. Real yeah, deal. and you can wear like wear the headphones, wear the sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Who, who are you sweet. most excited to see Dr. Fax interact with on the plane? There's going to be Ryan Clark, Ocho Cinco. I bet you you guys are going to play Scrabble because Fax is going to be like, I'm the best Scrabble player, and then Ocho Cinco is going to be like, not a chance. Yeah, I bet you they I end bet, up I bet they get into it. I, I, look, I There's going to be some game that you guys end up playing because Fly Fax on the wall. The Fly on the wall, yeah. Dr. Fax and Ocho Cinco. Hey, <laughs> hey have, have that Patron ready for uh, Chad. Yeah. Oh, he, he likes his Patron. Patron. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll bring some Patron. He likes. Uh, he likes coffee, Patron, cigars, McDonald's, video games, and McDonald's. You gotta bring him like. A He's a simple guy simple in that guy. way. It's yeah, like yeah. you know. Does he, does he still have all those Piggly Wiggly cars and shit? Oh, I don't know. What's Piggly Wiggly? He used car? to. So when we were in Cincinnati, he would drive a different um, Winnie the Pooh uh, car 
character. He had cars that were like, you know, nothing's coming up on Google. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. I, I know. I mean, I yeah. believe you. Yeah. So he had like a Winnie the Pooh painted, like, yeah, Dodge Charger, and then kind he had like the donkey one, and then it was Eeyore. It, then he had a Shrek one, I think. Okay. No, I haven't seen it. He was driving a fucking Kia last time I saw him in the parking lot. He was sitting in the parking lot smoking a cigar in a rental. Yeah. So I don't know what he drives back home. He's really frugal. You, you should ask him, hey, did you drive a Winnie the Pooh car? I will. <laughs> and he's going to be like, nah. Nah, what are you talking about? Yeah. No, I I um, I can't wait for, uh, for the trip. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, some things I want to do, read. I would definitely like to go to the back to the waterfall. Yeah. Water, waterfall would be great. The whole crew uh, and in the same mental environment that we were in last year. Yeah, week. we got to take the, uh, what would you call those? The uh, the edibles of the earth? Yeah. We yeah. got to take the edibles of the earth and and uh, and walk around Vegas. We had such a good time, me and Cowboy Reed last time. Uh, and then uh, we just sat by the waterfall at the, uh, at the wind. We're definitely doing Old Town. I'm definitely going to do Old Town. And I got to say, not to bring it up again, I would kill to see Godzilla at the sphere. <laughs> <laughs> what if you weren't allowed to do drugs? Yeah, I'd still do it. I, okay. I don't think. You, I don't think. You need I don't think you should yeah. take drugs going to the sphere because, like, you're going to be surrounded by, by that people. Whole, by people, but also like that thing is so intense. If yeah. I could they, rent out the sphere for a night, word is it's better not to do. the Really? Drugs for they the have yeah. really yes. They have safe rooms though yeah. at the sphere. Oh, really? Yeah, like when you need to chill out. They had a safe Hell room yeah. at the Hollywood Bowl for the for the <laughs> Willie Nelson birthday party. Yeah. It was called the bathroom. It was yeah. called the bathroom. <laughs> but uh, like white. So these are some pads. Really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Macon, what would you like to see at the Sphere? The 2019 UVA Basketball National Championship. Yeah, I guess. Oh, I'm not a big rewatch guy. Um, I don't know. Uh, with the exception of Downton Abbey, I could I could watch a. At the sphere, Downton Abbey. Yeah, you gotta like turn around to see yeah. what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, walks into the room with a fucking sack of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You're yep. like, oh, there she is. There's dinner. <laughs> That's how they live back then. The shit I know. show. I don't. I I don't know about that. Was it worse than Tokyo 1946? I don't know. Yeah, I'm more of a pre-war. Nobody got. Did anybody get firebombed? Colonial from Downton Abbey. Was this post? Is this pre-war? Pre. Yeah. Oh, so this is before they got firebombed. Yeah. Uh, a lot of muff back sim- then. A lot of muff. <laughs> That's my biggest complaint about that era. Complaint. Is, is everybody's complaint. Everybody's hygiene is all fucked up. No. The, I, guys. Don't yeah. you think like a big bush like that back Dude, in the Dude, the shit 40s, started from their just, belly button and wrapped around their asshole. What do you think about asshole? that? <laughs> I remember health class. It's, it, is about, it is about hygiene. Yeah. You need, you need your pubic hair. You do? Yeah. So you For got what? To fall in a toilet? What do you need your pubic hair for? To keep the smells in. What no, smells it's, no, not well, at all. Candidly, biologically, that's the purpose of it. Okay? The purpose of pubic hair is to protect us, just like the hair around your ears, nose, and eyes. Exactly right. It keeps the skin of your vulva warm and moisturized. It protects the delicate skin from friction during sexual activity. It keeps dust, dirt, and germs away from... But you want friction. To perf- you, <laughs> What the fuck are we talking about here? Yeah, you you trying to not feel it? Yeah, dude. Dude, this isn't the Stone Age where this stuff was necessary, you know? I, anyway, anyways. Well, I, 
talking about the drapes here or the carpet, one or the other. Um, speaking of the carpet, the Wynn has some beautiful carpet. The Wynn is a gorgeous hotel. That's where we'll, we'll be staying. We'll be staying at the Wynn. Um, Super Bowl week is always a shit show. For media members, for players, like look at the media members this year. They were going to go stay at the Luxor, which is decorated like a Dorito. Yeah. And then some of them couldn't fit, so they moved them to the, the hotel that's shaped like a castle. <laughs> okay? If the hotel's shaped like a castle... It's probably not five star and that includes disney world okay like there's something wrong if you're staying at a hotel that's shaped like a castle uh but vegas is vegas i don't think many people are going to be in their rooms much that's the whole thing i cannot wait it's going to be a lot of fun some great restaurants we got to hit um i'm jacked what do you think bad back backy what are the do's and don'ts of I, vegas i think we need to under i mean the super bowl is in vegas yeah. the game yeah is in Vegas. Yes. The, the Vegas is nuts even when the Super Bowl isn't there. Right. This is next level. Yeah. Next level. No, it is next level, and there's some some complications. And I that. think with this, is there's going to be a little bit of amateur hour, first-timers in Vegas. That's great. I think there's a few things they need to know. When playing blackjack, do not sit down in the middle of a shoe. Yeah. Ask. You always ask. You really? always have to Absolutely. Yeah. Always I feel like ask. I fucked that up. And please split aces. Don't sit down and not split your aces. What is splitting an ace? Splitting aces. When you get when you get dealt two aces, you split them. Okay. You have to. Okay. All right. You Obviously. just have to. All right. And then one other thing: when you go up to the you go up to the 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 window to put your bet in, right? I'm going to take Kansas City, whatever it is. If they take your money t before you can even recognize it, you're off. You lost. Really? If they ask you, hey, we're going to have to see some ID. What's your social security number? If they make it a little bit harder, you're on the right track. Really? Correct. No way. Yep. No NFL players allowed in sports books until after the game has been completed. Active players. Active players. So they can't be in the sports book, but they can be in a hotel. Correct. They can I mean, be that, in a casino. Yeah. No players playing in, a, in the game can be in a casino or a sports book. So players playing in the game can't even go in a casino or sports book. Correct. So they're staying in one of these rare hotels that's just a hotel mm -hmm. in Vegas. Yeah. Which has got to be a weird fucking experience. Probably not the best. That'd be like going to Miami and being like, can't be anywhere there's palm trees. Mm -hmm. Like there's only certain places you can be, and that kind of sucks. I, I, I don't know how that's going to even – They just let it go. Every, everyone just let them do their thing. It's a part of the game now. As soon as ESPN put – what the weather was on the ticker, it was all, what was that, 10 years ago? Yeah. You knew it was coming down. So just let yeah, people Yeah, the weather was the, the first, was the first Absolutely. shot across the bow. Yeah, you're like, why, what are they putting this And now they for? got the lines on every yeah. Chiron on a mm -hmm. fucking major that was the big, like, That was the Even if they don't mention the lines, mm -hmm. they, the lines are right there. Howie Long has boosted parlays. For you know who's hitting up for his boosted parlays? <laughs> Half the time, me. And and I've told I've told you about this. He'll ask me for a winner, and I'll be like, hey, I'm not really sure about this game. He's like, just pick it, and I pick it. And then sometimes he's like, Why didn't that hit? <laughs> Which is like not a guy knows ball. Guy knows <laughs> no, but I mean, like you know, his thing is when you ask for a play, the code is you can't you can't then complain. Like Tommy Budokan will send me some some real winners, and then every once in a while I'll get a stinker. But that's part of the experience. You got to play every play over a, a period of time for entertainment purposes only for entertainment purposes only
that's the other thing. You go to Vegas and you think you're going there to win. Yeah. You're in the wrong. Yeah, that's what it is. You I go to, if you bring it, if you got 10 grand, you go there and you lose it, you got to expect to lose it. Don't that's go there and win. That's what you spent to, to hang out in Correct. Vegas, to feel the sweat. You know, like that. at the end of the year, my losses, I'm like, that's what I paid to enjoy the game on a level that I've enjoyed the game this year. No big deal. So I think Vegas, unique challenge for players. I have no idea. I played in two Super Bowls. I have no idea what it's like to have to stay out of certain places and the whole thing. This week is a shit show. It really is. And you got to see it as a fan and like coming in for the game and stuff yeah. in the week. But like, I'll never forget, and I've said this before, the first time I got to my hotel in Houston when I was playing for the Patriots, we walked through the lobby. It's a zoo. Like everything's like roped off. There's people, there's autograph seekers, there's helicopters overhead. Like it feels like everybody on the planet's like, descended upon a square block guy and fieri is everywhere what just is it guy fieri guy fieri's appearances just yeah he's he really is. look it's guy fieri he really is yes. great guy i've i wrote great an guy. elevator with him uh i don't think it was at the super bowl i was at vegas though it was at the game for the eagles and um and and i was like hey i know big cat you know that was my end and he was really excited about that <laughs> friends with big cat so um it's just a shit show. I remember getting up to my room and the the prevailing like feeling of I just need to get away or I need to be alone, you know. And sometimes when you get up to your hotel room and you sit sit there with Mario Lopez on TV and you lay down on the Western Heavenly bed or whatever it is, and you've been on the plane all day, you got two three hours till meetings. That's the most peaceful time of your week where you can choose to do with it whatever you want. Some guys jack off. Not me. I'm in my fucking playbook. Mm -hmm. Okay, never mm -hmm. never that. Um, but I get up there and it's the helicopters and I can hear people outside. I can hear people's voices. I'm on the 15th floor and I can hear people outside. It just felt like you were in a fish, a fishbowl. And the whole week feels like that. You cannot be alone. Like right down to the Friday before the game, I, I hid in the hotel ballrooms where they have the film set up so I could watch film. But you can't even do that for too long on a Friday night and get your rest. I had a cold the week of the New England game, like a lot of us, up in Minneapolis for the Eagles. I was I was hiding in the film room trying to just watch some film. And you got people walking through like, hey, anybody who's not going to the party, you got to go to the party. There's like Jeffrey Lurie has a party on Friday night. So like you can't just prepare on your normal timeline. There are people pulling you into different corners of – of the hotel or to different parties or hey everybody that lands in vegas for the super bowl this week and knows a guy on the team is going to text that guy and be like hey you want to get up like and it's one of the most annoying things in general about being in somebody's city and i've been a violator of this or being somewhere that somebody else is going to be like let's get together you know you're probably not going to get together that that would be true if it were just to somebody visiting vegas like i'm busy i have a family i have this that and third we're adults here we can say, hey, maybe I'll see you, but if not, no big deal. That's not what people think like if they're coming to the Super Bowl. They all want a piece, right? So you got to go visit this person, you know, an agent, a marketing guy. They've got this event. I tried to stay out of it. I really tried to make that week like every other week. And I think there's young guys on the team that you have to worry about who go out on Friday nights in your hometown. And if guys are going out two nights before a game, that's never been my thing. I get some guys can perform that way, but if you're out till 3 a.m. on a Friday night in Philly, what do you think these guys are gonna do when you go to Vegas? 
right? And so curfew, maybe not curfew the first two nights you get there because you get like a week ahead. Try to get it out of your system then if you're one of those guys. But then they're going to lock you down the rest of the week, and they should, right? And right down to the, the final day, there are people hitting you up for tickets, people you have to coordinate with to get the tickets. Um, we had to walk through like throngs of people to get to our families to get them the tickets the day of the game, like out of the hotel, through a hallway, through a crowd of people. Then we got to go through security to get into the family hotel. And when you get in there, you, you hug your family, you give the tickets up, whatever. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's different hotels for families. There's different hotels for the, the the team. And obviously, the team hotels locked down like Fort Knox. Me and Alan Branch and Jabal, on the way back, I'll never forget this, from the family hotel, we had like an hour before we had to get on the bus. <coughs> we kept talking about we wanted to do the baseball champagne thing, uh -huh. you know, because it always looks so cool. And uh, we went to a, a Walgreens. We like cut through an alley and went to a Walgreens. We got our Patriots track suits on. And there's people like in the Walgreens and we're not that popular. So we're just going about our business and we buy uh, like five, six bottles of Andre and we slide them into our gym bags and we save them for after the game. And like all I can think about when we finished the game was not only the fact that we we're world champions, but when I saw Alan Branch, I was like, we're about to pop this champagne. We get back in the fucking we get back in the champagne room, so to speak, <laughs> in the locker room. And we go to we shake them up, we go to pop them, and they just they just it's like a it's like a uh, what's the word anticlimactic volcano is the way it came out a dribble and like dudes are looking at us waiting for us to do the baseball <laughs> thing. There's no baseball thing, but your uh, boy Lex Steele at the end of a long day. Yes, something like that. That's my first ever reference. I don't, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Oh no, it was a prom yeah. reference. Yeah. It hey, definitely wasn't a Peter Norris situation. Hey, let me ask you this. I was looking for the Peter Norris situation, and I got something way south of that. So, uh, you know, Peter North, they said, could go for, like, minutes on end. Um, like shooting ropes. You got me here. But but I just, it, the whole week, <laughs> the whole week, the whole week is like, it's just a test. You know, it's like a test of your your social aptitude, your time management aptitude, your your mental aptitude, just being in a situation that's totally different and trying to keep it the same. And well, then dealing with the, hey, man, good luck, 700 times on Sunday morning. Every text is, hey, good luck. And after the game, the fun part is if you win, you get to go through all 400 text messages. I walked out of that stadium and I had like 448 text messages. It's a really cool thing to get to be on the field and be like, everybody I know is watching this game. Like every person I know is watching this game. And so whatever happens, like that's the pressure is you don't want to be that guy that the ball lands in your hand and you drop it or the jumps off sides. I'll never forget like that holding penalty at the end of New England. I hit Matt Ryan at his knees because I was getting tackled. And when I hit him, I don't know if he, I have the ball or not because I got somebody on my back and like you're just your face is in Matt Ryan's lap pause. And uh, he, you, you get on the ground and I'm trying to judge by the the, the, the noise of the crowd and and I hear like a weird cheer, like a penalty cheer. Like you don't want to hear the penalty cheer when you just landed on a quarterback. But did you? Were you aware you were being held? You're you're held enough all the time that like you're just not sure if they caught it. And the first thought in my head is I just ruined the Super Bowl mm -hmm. for like a solid three seconds. 
I, I don't even want to think back to that flashback of what my life would have been like, but these are the things that can happen to guys in this game. And it's just such a big stage and it's such an abnormal experience. So it is tough. Uh, like I said, even the people in your organization who are throwing like pregame parties, you have to be at certain things. That's not optimal performance, but you go into the week knowing that everybody has opted into this situation where we know it's not going to be normal and we just have to work around it. And at the end of the game, the fact that it's not normal is awesome because you've won. And, you know, like New England year, we went to a big party. They had a big, uh, the team party, they had a big hangar like rented out. And you think you're going to walk in there. When I was a kid, I always wondered what it's like to win a championship. I always like wondered what did, what did the Celtics do tonight? Like what time did that guy go to bed? You know, when I saw a guy in the morning on an, uh, on an interview, it's like, there's no way I could go out after Super Bowl and do the interview. You know, I used to think I want to hang out with the boys. I can't believe these guys are hanging out with their families and their wives after the game. You want to hang out with the boys like the guy. It's just not the case. It's, it's a party for everybody. And when you become a pro football player, you realize that everybody that had a hand in it gets to enjoy it. And that includes like fans, friends, friends that came in for the game might have sat in the wrong seat for an entire a half. Yeah. You know, people like that. We get to the New England party. It's it's not just us. It's every fucking Patriots fan you could imagine. They basically opened the party up to be like a for-profit party. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's elevated status Pats fans and the players. And there's no separating the areas. In fact, there was like one VIP area and I couldn't get into it with my family. Everybody in your crew, the reaction was the same. It was like, huh, yeah, yeah. Can we go somewhere else? I was I was in a bad mood. Yeah. I just wanted to be alone. I wanted to drink beer somewhere and talk to my friends and that sort of thing. And the best part of my night was when we went to that hotel. We got out of there. We went to a hotel and got drunk with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Yep. It's such a major life event. I would wake up and take a piss in the morning and I'd be like, is this my last piss as a loser? You know, like thoughts like that. Is this what changes? After tomorrow, I put my contact lenses in and think shit like, what are these contact lenses going to see later tonight? It's just no one knows, man. And your whole life is going to change as a result of it one way or the other. The Philly Super Bowl, the postgame party was incredible because they they roped off the section for the players. And it was like one big room was players. One big room was. And there's a picture of drunk Fletcher Cox manhandling uh, my wife. <laughs> This just sounds terrible when you, when you when you hear it described. But there's a like that was exactly what I was going to bring up. You work so hard all year. I think some people think you're always out and getting drunk and partying as a team. And like as you get old, older in the NFL, you're really not. You're like your head's down. You go you go to work. You go home. Every waking minute for me was taking care of my body. So there were a lot of guys I hadn't partied with. Just to see your guys drunk, <laughs> all in the same place. And a drunk that it's like, we don't care, dude. It was zero degrees out there. We did not care at all uh, how cold it was, that we were in Minneapolis, that we had been awake for 24 hours. We just wanted to go, go, go. And I, I'll never forget the New England Super Bowl. One of my highlights was when we finally got out of that party and went to the bar and came back, um, me and Rob Ningovich, who's actually 40 this week, have birthday, Rob. Uh, just got a couple beers, went up to the room and rewatched the game at like three, four in the morning. 
Some guys are still out at the nightclub. We just wanted to take it all in and watch the game one more time. So we, we watched the replay. Uh, I, I forgot I didn't have any dip. I had to walk like a mile to get dip. Uh, I d- did the same thing in the, the the Philly Super Bowl when it was so cold outside and we had this like garrison of Humvees and military personnel like guarding the hotel. I had to go out the door and check with the checkpoint on the way out and on the way in and explain to them, I'm just a drunk player that forgot to get a tin of Kodiak Wintergreen. Uh, is there a gas station around here? So winning a Super Bowl doesn't solve all your problems. <laughs> But the end of the night's pretty fun. I got two Super Bowl stories. So, what year was it? What year did um, the Giants beat the uh, Patriots? In, in Both the first of them. time. First time. Oh seven. That was at that was at the stadium, Arizona Stadium. Yeah. So this is their first year, right? So security was a little laxing. I was there for Dave. Yeah. Giants, you know, yeah, Dave Deal, yeah. good friend of mine since yeah. growing up. We go to the game. We get on the field after the game. I have a, a great moment with my girl, Linda Cohn. Yeah, yeah. Great moment. Yeah. What Flavor, was the moment? Flavor flip. Oh, me and Linda caught eyes. We we embraced, hugged. Really? We so happy. Like no context. You just Nothing. Just we caught eyes. I, and you hugged? We hugged. Whoa, we hugged. explain this. Oh, yeah. You've never met Linda Cohn. You just never, just, never. We I, It was me and Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav was with me. No way. Yeah, yeah. So security's lacking. Wait, Flavor Flav was with you, or you were standing in the same place as Flavor Flav? We were. Flavor Flav was with me. <laughs> uh-huh. we're, we're, so we're on the field again. I look over. There's Flavor Flav, and then I get a nice big hug from Linda Cohn. But what's the context of the hug? You're not. You, you're, we, you're, I, we, we were just overjoyed with with the Giants winning. She's a huge. Oh, the Giants. She's a huge post-game. Giants fan. This See, I'm imagining. I'm sorry. I didn't pre-game, you get on the sideline. No, 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 no. This and, is and, after the game. And you just hug Linda Cohn. No, this is after the <laughs> She's game. Just hugging Linda Cohn. She's ageless, to be she, fair. She is. Yeah. Great lady. Yeah. You don't. You, oh, you don't hug older women. No, I was just complimenting Linda. Kind of walked you into a cover two trap. There. I was just complimenting Linda Cohn. <laughs> but then we snuck into the locker room. So we're in the Giants locker room. Dave comes out in a towel and he's like, what the hell are you? It was me and my two other You got ladies. in the Giants locker room. The Giants locker room. That's how jerseys get stolen. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we were just, we just were walking. Mm-hmm. I know, but the access is yeah. crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then. Who had the biggest piece? I didn't see anybody. I kept my. We had a couple of Gatorades, I think, because they, they, there was no booze in yeah, there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, and then what was the year in Indianapolis? Giants. I call it the Patriots. season, so 11. 7 11. 11. Yeah. 11, 2011. So it, after that game, they played the Patriots again, and the Patriots did that for like profit yeah. things. But we were with the Giants, got to hang out with um, the Mannings. Yeah. So it's me, my buddies, Dave, and the Mannings. And I see – I see old man Manning and I'm like hey congratulations like wow Peyton just won you know now you got Eli winning he goes and he gives me the most media like response what do you say it just oh you know it's just wonderful to be a you know be a part of this and so happy for the boys maybe that's how he felt I I, I bet you yeah. he did Jeez, but I said man. I go Mr. Manning I you don't have to give me that I go I just enjoy yourself you know and he goes Thank God! Like I've been doing Kevin's these interviews. Me permission. I, I was giving him myself. permission, I and then he permission. hugged you. Yeah. And then we had a great time. <laughs> we did. We had a great time. I was at that Super Bowl. I had my hand in a fucking bag, like I was out at the club with my hand in a bag because I had just gotten my my thumb fused after running into Marshawn week seventeen. Had to rehab, 
And the worst part of it is like, you can make money at the Super Bowl. So I had just gotten cut at, in Vail. I went to like the leading hand surgeon in Vail. They cut into the bone and fused it. And I was in a lot of pain. And I just remember being laid up in bed with this plastic bag around my cast like two days before the Super Bowl. And I was like, I'm going. I'm getting drunk. I'm making money. Don't care if people are staring at the pins hanging out of my hand. Like, I'm going. I'm playing hurt. I loved going. The Super Bowl is how I met Ryan Rossillo. Super Bowl is how I met Scott Van Pelt. Super Bowl is how I met Sanford Steve. That's awesome. Those guys, the one of the very first Super Bowls in Tampa that I got to work as a player uh i got to go to some party and just like i i can't remember because at the time i gotta be honest i didn't know who ryan was you know it's not a That's joke crazy. i yeah. just really didn't in 2008 and i ran into scott and i think i ran into him at a bar in like ybor city that was the night i got drunk with antonio pierce and justin tuck and and, and fred robbins because that was my connection uh -huh. you know um playing with fred robbins and i met scott we hit it off. Scott, by the way, like if you think back to Super Bowls back in the day, Scott could do whatever he wanted. He could go out, he could have fun, like the whole thing. It's crazy to think he can't go out in public now. He's so fucking famous, he's so tall. I think the last time I was out in public with Scott was on Bourbon Street, and it was like right when it was getting too much, right? Like he's just too tall, man, he's just too recognizable. But Scott took me to a party later that night, or we went to a party later in the week, and I met Steve and ryan and you know my life's changed because of that i also got to talk to little wayne i met little wayne at a party i thought it was the coolest fucking thing in the world i was a huge little wayne fan like everybody that was in college back then and i and i remember this distinctly meeting him because he was doing like a media thing where he pull a different player into the room and ask him like one question you want little wayne to ask you a question i was like yeah fuck yeah dude <laughs> so i get in line i go in and you know he asked me a question and i kind of had a stupid answer because he's like what do you think about being in the super bowl i was like it's really cool like all the people i'm meeting like yada 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 and he looked at me like he's like you you don't want to be playing in this game and i was like no nah. i mean like next year and then after i dapped him up and was like dude the suffix is like my favorite mixtape which is a, a mixtape that he dropped and at this point, he had so many great mixtapes that he legitimately couldn't remember the mixtape. And his assistant had to remind him that he did a terrific project called The Suffix within the last two years. And, uh, and he was perfectly nice. But I met a ton of celebrities at these things. I met, I met at one of these parties, I met the voice of the guy in Family Guy. The big, the big voice in Family Guy, the big tall guy that sounds 6'5". You know, the, the deep voice guys in a lot of cartoons. I think he's uh That's I think sad. he's the wheelchair guy's uh voice. Warburton. Patrick yeah. Warburton. Yep. Yep. He was cool <laughs> as shit. I don't know why that stood out for me, but I met a lot of famous people at these deals. It's cool. You never know who, who yeah. we're gonna see this week. Yeah. Maybe we should do a bingo thing as a as a pod. You met Serena Williams last year. I met Serena Williams last year. Did you know that? Really? Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was cool as shit. Carrie Champion was like, You wanna meet Serena Williams? I was like, No, Carrie. I don't want to bother Serena Williams. Two seconds later, she yanks me over to meet Ser Serena Williams. She's got a UVA connect too. Yeah, her, her husband. husband. Yeah, yeah, total stud, UVA guy. But anyways, you meet all types of cool people. Last year we had the Cash App Drake party and the amount of famous people in this party was unreal. Kyle was sitting there talking to CeCe Sabathia like they were boys. And then he came on the show. Two big lefties. So you never know who you meet that might end up on green light and that sort of thing. It's really cool. I walked out to have a left-handed Siggy last year into the alley of that Drake party. And I watched, so first I watched Machine Gun Kelly like mm -hmm. kind of storm out. And I'm like, that's Machine Gun Kelly. 
And my first thought is like, man, he's kind of, he's not that good looking to be with Megan Fox. The next thing you know, Megan Fox walks out like four feet behind him and they're pissed. Like they just don't look happy. And I'm like, damn, what am I seeing here? And a day later you find out they break up. Like, I don't know, a day later, it was pretty. I think it was that night. I, I, think saw, they, I saw them walk in and they I saw Megan Fox happy. and Machine Gun Kelly break up yeah. at the Super Bowl. Okay, so I've seen some cool shit at the Super Bowl. So what do you think's gonna happen in Vegas? I mean, dude. Maybe, maybe, maybe Dr. Fax pulls Megan Fox. You just never know. Can't say that. But oh, hey, man. but but all that stuff, you know, you talk about the media and the tickets and just how yeah. what was the one thing that surprised you the most though, as far as the Super Bowl, being the Super Bowl? What was the the thing that you the distraction you might not have anticipated media day you know the constant media like engagements that you everybody on the team like it's like the combine where you have a bunch of tables and they come in and interview you it's like a free-for-all it's the same thing with media day and it's international media so i'm talking to people who are speaking japanese i'm talking to people who are speaking spanish the guy that does this the the spanish highlights that you see gets really jacked up about football on the sideline Goal. when they go down to no like the guy that does nfl mexico oh, oh, oh. i talked to him <laughs> i talked to all types of people they're asking you questions for our fans back in germany you know like it's pretty cool you know you can really gauge the global state of the game by the super bowl because everybody's there um so it is Super Bowl week, uh, and by the way, the, the plane ride home is like a germ tunnel for the families because it's like, my kid was sick as a dog when we were in Minneapolis. Like, we're staying in the Mall of America. There's no airflow. It's just the Pats on one end, us on the other end, half the team sick. We're walking out in the mall because that's all you can really do to get around, and you just pass your opponents. And there was a young defensive lineman for the Patriots who I used to help who's a younger player and I'd watch film with him and I'll never forget walking by him in the hallway and being like yo redacted and he was like what's up and he just like walk right past him like it's four days before the game bro is this, is this what we're doing <laughs> like McCordy stopped and said what's up outside Benihana we were all in the same hotel um but the turnaround from the Super Bowl to the to the parade is like is is tough on your body and on your but you're running on fumes and adrenaline so you, you're okay right after philly you were you were on the tonight show i was i got to go to the tonight show uh with jimmy like fallon monday night yeah we got out there quick it was me alshon um kelsey it was like five of us five or six of us went up to the tonight show it was cool got to meet quest love like for three days, you're like one of the most important people in the world, but don't get used to it. That's the point is like when when that Super Bowl ends, there's going to be plenty more and, you know, enjoy your week because, you know, it really is the most earned feeling in sports. It really is. The feeling you get at that parade, I've said this before, everybody should get that feeling once in their life and very few of us do. Just to be lucky enough to drive basically all day get fucked up on a bus with half a million a million people and they're all just screaming because you're you're driving by in a bus like you're the beatles for a day dude yeah and i think that's why some people struggle after football too uh, on a on a you know a different scale is because like the adoration and the adrenaline and the good vibes you'll never match it again in your life and so if i have any regrets it's not and i am somebody who lives in the moment in a big way 
I, I wish I had sunk it, soaked it in a little bit more. You know what I mean? Uh, and you never can enough, um, but it's special. I've got my confetti in my office in like a little shadow box. And that's so important to me. Like when I was in St. Louis, I had a defensive line coach, Mike Waffle, who I've talked about on this show. And, you know, Mike used to say, and we were a very good group, but it was obvious we weren't going to get there at a bunch of turns on the road. And he had been with the Giants. And he said, if I have one wish for you guys, it's that that confetti falls on your face. Like that's how he would finish a lot of the meetings was like, we're after that confetti. I promise you when you pick it up, and most of the guys in that room never got to pick it up. Um, and it doesn't make me any better. It just makes me lucky. I got to scoop up confetti. I got to eat me and Rob Negovich hugging like 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 schoolgirls on the field in an empty Houston stadium, talking to the media out on the field an hour after the game, eating a fucking pizza, picking up confetti, like scooping up confetti, putting it in every pocket I could, slugging a pizza, talking to international media. I'm already drunk. There's we had the the andre and the it didn't squirt but it but it worked <laughs> uh you know so it is i could go on for for days about the experience but it is to be a champion i couldn't have i couldn't have explained it to my past self what it feels like and it is truly special so there's a lot on the line for these guys Let's get into I think the I'm award. Crying, guys. I think Jesus. That was awesome. Well, it's a, it's a fucking it's a rare opportunity, <laughs> awesome. man. And so that's why I tell these, you know, if I was telling these guys if I was an older guy, you got 6 days here for the rest of your life. 6 days of being disciplined for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You're going to look back at every 20 minute block and say, I could have done a little bit more. You know, don't do that. You know, and also, I'll never forget preparing that Friday night and watching uh watching Eagles tape 2016 watching the Falcons and the Eagles play because we were getting ready to play the Falcons that was the that was the first time the Eagles were on my radar was watching film for the Super Bowl preparing for the Falcons and watching that Eagles group and saying man they look like a lot of fun like so I just such a wild turn of events for me personally it was it was incredible when we went to Philly this past spring um, I forget who it was it was it was a staffer on the Eagles, he came out to the bus and was talking with you for a second. And he was, he said, he recounted the story of meeting you when you got to Philly. And he said, uh, what's it like to win a Super Bowl? What's that like? This is before the season, 2017. And uh, you told him, it's like you have a coat of armor yep. on the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And then when you guys won, he said that you told him like, congratulations on having your coat. It, dude, it, it, some of the, some of the guys there, um, some of the guys there, you know, when you get to Philly, they're like, oh, you know something. I don't know anything. I just know how it feels. I mean, I was there. Um, and it is cool to go back there because, like like you said, every time I talk to a guy on that team or a staffer, like I know who, who this is that you're talking about. And he used to tell me I've been chasing this ghost my whole career. He's like, how do we catch this ghost? I just I just want to catch I, – I just want to feel it before it's over. Like I want to – I want to feel that thing you said. And, you know, when we got there and won it, I mean, now you go back and I get choked up talking to those guys because it's that deep of an experience. It's you against the world and, uh, and it's special. So whatever you're looking forward to this football season, there's one thing that pairs well with every great moment and that is an ice cold Miller Lite. Whether you're at the stadium playing fantasy football, or watching the game at home, or at the bar, Miller Lite 
is here to make your football season taste like Miller time. From kickoff to the clock runs out, you can't go wrong with the Miller Lite in your hand. It's the only light beer with a taste worthy of our national obsession. Because what's the point of having beer if it doesn't taste like beer? I go to Dirty Nelly's every weekend. Sometimes I'm prepping for the show at the bar on Saturday night, watching a little college football, getting ready to lay out our Miller Lite moments. Uh, I like to have a nice cold Miller Lite right next to me. And the folks at Dirty Nelly's, they know when I get there to have my ice cold Miller Lite. It's got only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounce serving with a smooth taste and a crisp, clean finish. You get the taste you crave without the calories. So this season, crack open a light beer that hits your taste buds so hard you feel it in your heart. Make it Miller time all season long. Get Miller Lite delivered right to your door. Visit MillerLite.com Greenlight. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounces. And finally, a little ad men. Now, we'll be back with more ad men after the Super Bowl, but it's been a while since we've done ad men. And a couple things came up this week that I thought I'd really love to do an ad on that. And bad back back, he's never tried to do ad men. So do we give him the floor first? Or does he watch an ad and then... And then pitches an ad. Oh gosh! Throw him in the fire. Throw him in the fire. Oh man! Okay. okay, try your ad. You're up. Travis Kelsey sleeping in his bed. He gets a call. It's from Coach Reed. Travis, I need you down here right away. Need you down at the the uh, complex. Travis co- goes down there, and he sees a curtain. And Coach Reed, and Coach Reed pulls the curtain. And it's John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Jason Kelsey is sitting on the table with Tooney. <laughs> and, and Travis goes, Coach, what the hell's going on? He goes, well, we need another offensive lineman, so we're going to steal your brother. And we're going to put your brother's – going to put Tooney's face on your brother's body, and that's who we're going with. Travis goes, Coach, I, I, I don't understand how we're going to do this. And why is John Travolta and Nicolas Cage here? He goes, well, they're going to do the surgery. Haven't seen the movie. <laughs> Travis wakes up. It's a nightmare. It never happened. Smoky gummies to take all your nightmares away. Oh, there you go. Smoky gummies are great, too. <laughs> they're some of my favorite edibles. There you go. Travis has never seen Face Off. That's an A+. Plus. That's a great, that's a good Some ad. of us don't watch films. It's a good ad. That's right. really good. All right, I got one for you. All right. Making you ready for your big line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. A beautiful woman fumbles for her iPhone. Antonio, can I get a picture? He smiles. Say cheese. You can put cheese on him. <laughs> Antonio Brown at the podium. Cameras flashing. What kind of offense do you prefer, A.B.? Spread offense. <laughs> you can put any kind of spread on him. Antonio Brown huddles with his Bucks teammates in New York. He's cold. The game is almost over, but not yet. I'm about to dip. You can put any kind of dip on him. You can put anything you want on AB's crackers. <laughs> AB's crackers. Put that shit on. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That That's a good ad. That's good. That's a good ad. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Because, you know, he likes saying cracker. He's been saying cracker yeah. lately. It's yeah. inevitable he comes out with a line of crackers. Yeah. 
How do you make a cracker that's differentiating? You know? Yeah. Texture. Kind of crushed it. So maybe his crackers all have, you know how like people find crackers that look like Jesus? And they're like, oh, my cracker looks like Jesus. I'm talking about like food. And sells it on eBay. Well, yeah, like maybe all the fucking crackers have different quarterbacks' faces on them. Like in each pack, you could get mm. a different quarterback. Like animal crackers, you could get you could get a fucking Jaron Hall or you could get a Patrick Mahomes. It's a mystery. Mm. Well, no. You could get a Jaron Hall. <laughs> <laughs> you could get a Jaron Hall or a Joe Burrow. It's a total mystery. But you can't do a Jesus. Jesus wasn't a cracker. No, not technically. No. And uh, I got to stop you on Jaron Hall yeah. as well. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you could get a Tim Boyle or you could get a Joe Burrow. Jesus. Oh. That's a tough one. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. You know, uh, Best Buy has the Geek Squad, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So if you share a contact with somebody, iPhone to iPhone, It'll share whatever you have in your phone. So if you have like heart, no offense taken by the yawn cowboy. If you if you share a contact and say it's your side piece, right? It's 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 your side gal, and you got hearts all around the contact, okay? And then your then your wife's like, hey, can you send me Ashley's number? Gotta ask Ashley something. And you say, oh sure, hon, share the contact. Oh fuck, their hearts around Ashley's name. What am I gonna do? Wifey says, what the fuck is this? And you say, nah, huh? What? Nah. Now you've deleted the hearts. You show her a screenshot. All is good. What are you talking about? All right. Introducing the the glitch squad. Now you can call the glitch squad. This is employed by Apple Inc. Where, where you call them up. You're what you say. Call the glitch. Call the, they don't call it the glitch squad. You got to call up Apple, hun. You're a, your phone's got some sort of glitch here. It's got a bug. Hearts around Ashley's name. Call up the glitch squad. Apple, yeah. Oh, no. No, there have never been hearts around your friend Ashley's name. Your husband's not sticking it to Ashley every other Tuesday. <laughs> nah, all good. Bang, glitch squad. <laughs> Is that it? Fixing your problems. Yeah. You know? Is that it? Yeah, you don't always have gold when you walk into the room. Yeah, that's the that's, that's the uh, that's good. Yeah, made up company. The glitch squad. The glitch squad. Okay. All right. Came from not a real life thing, but you you get what if it was Mike McGlinchy McGlinchy mm-hmm. from the Denver Broncos is like the spokesman. Yeah, for the I'm Mike McGlinchy for the McGlinchy. glitch squad. Yeah. yeah, because do you know this? I can share protect a contact. you. I protect Russell Wilson. I can protect you. You share a contact. You see, like whoever, like the picture you have saved. Yeah. Any like that I know I know Cowboy Reed's dad's birthday. It's January second because he sent me a contact one time. You know what I like sending people copy paste numbers. Yeah, not for that reason. Old school, but just because I I just like doing it. Yeah, you want that number? Here it is. Yeah, I, you got to go to the right. You can't get their email. Copy and right. paste it. You know how you should never be mean to people because you never know who's Jesus. Correct. Not like ever. It could yeah. be Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not so worried about Jesus. I just I don't think you should ever be mean anyway. You know. No, I don't think so either. Well, we're but I we're made in the likeness of of, of yeah. our creator. Plus, Jesus. there's like a Kendrick Lamar song the where he's at the gas station and Kendrick Lamar is an asshole to a bum who's got like a squeegee or something and the guy's persistent. He just tells him to fuck off. And basically later in the song, he finds out that that was 
Jesus. And you never know who could be, you know, the manifestation of God, you know, like treat everybody good because we're all made in God's image. And it could be Jesus himself in the form of a hobo. Okay. All right. David Tepper mm. opened the scene with him being mean to homeless guys. A bunch of homeless guys outside the stadium are like, hell, we're on fire or something. And he's just like, yeah, hold on a second. He just got some got some ice cubes. Yeah, here's an ice cube. <laughs> you know, like he's just being a real asshole. Or it's like he just throwing, he just balls up his one and throws it at the guy or he's like, fuck off. Okay, hard cut. David Tepper in the shower before the game holding hands with Dave Canales. That's where people pray. That's why he's in the shower with Dave Canales. They're praying, they're holding hands. Jesus, will you please grant us our first win? You know, please because I don't know if you know this, but it doesn't help us, you know, to continue to lose because of the whole Bryce Young thing and the draft capital. Jesus appears in the shower. Are you fucking kidding me, David? Are you kidding me? That was me outside the stadium, <laughs> you idiot. Uh, no way. Saints by 20. And then he just poof, he disappears into like just into thin air. Uh, Players dumbfounded. Everybody's looking at each other, looking at David. Like, what? Are Jesus. You, what are you gonna say? Uh, and and they're all incredulous. And and all he can muster is, can I fire him? <laughs> Jesus. You never know. You know the new Jesus commercials. Mm -hmm. New one with David Tepper. Are you okay with this Jesus stuff? Well, the the theme of it is you got to treat Jesus. Golden rule. Everybody Golden rule. Jesus. Golden rule. Yeah. And how do you expect Jesus to give you a win over the Saints if you just, you know? Yeah. So, and he wanted to fire Jesus because he fires everybody. He fires he everybody. Fire Jesus. Little, he'd fire a little baby Jesus. This is like non-person category. Okay. Hardest working things in the history of the world. Ready? It's motion detector. Uh -huh. All right? Think about it. Always on alert. Right? 100% of the time. You can't be 99% of the time if you're a motion detector. Okay, mm -hmm. always, always looking, uh -huh. always, always working, always looking. So what I'm thinking here the is, camera's got it easy. Motion detector says, "Hey, take a picture." Camera just takes a picture. That's right. Motion detectors. I feel like I'd buy a lot more motion detectors if they were marketed better. Yeah. So what I need is a real hardworking person to be a spokesperson for motion detectors. That's where I bring y'all in. Who do you think? Give me a hardworking person. A running back. Somebody that's building the pyramid. Mm. Somebody Maybe working a, on a railroad. Like, like John a, Henry. Like a like a like Debbie think, from Dallas. There you go. <laughs> Debbie from Debbie Does Dallas. Yeah. Hi, I'm Debbie from Debbie Does Dallas. Mm -hmm. I know hard work when I see it. <laughs> no question. <laughs> Buy these fucking motion detectors. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to work harder. That's good. That's Debbie Does Dallas for motion detectors. Okay, good. Thanks for the assist. No problem. Yep. All right. Elon Musk gets in his new time machine. It's 1967. Why he wants to go back to 1967, I don't know. But he walks into a Delta lounge. He's going to New York. He wants to fly to Philadelphia. Tom Moore is on his seventh job. Tom Moore is currently coaching uh, in, the, uh, in the American Conference. <laughs> Okay, he walks in a Delta lounge. Uh, he's at an airport. He's flying to Philly. He's in New York. Uh, he notices a guy through the cigarette smoke because back then you could smoke cigarettes. So I'm going to have the guy walking out. Um, 
holy shit, you're Colonel Charles McGee, the most famous Tuskegee Airman. Mm. I've seen the movie. Colonel's like, the movie? Are you flying my plane to New York? No, despite our incredible skill set, only one of the Tuskegee Airmen was able to fly commercially after the military due to racism. Robert Ashby did fly with Frontier Airlines, though. Hard cut. DEI. Because maybe you don't have the best pilots fucking flying anyways because of hiring practices in the United States. That's the whole idea. It's like, if you really want to find out who the best pilots are, you stop hiring in a, in a, in a fashion that yields like 98% white guys flying airplanes or in, or in the Air Force. I mean, fuck me. The guys in Tuskegee did the hardest job and they got out and they wouldn't even let them fly fucking planes. That's really good. Thank you. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like Elon Musk to see that ad. It would it would clear the whole thing up. Yeah. Plus these planes are 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 and this is the at one point the irony is going to be Elon's going to have every plane operated by robot and there's going to be a bunch of white, black, Asian, fucking Ethiopian people that are gonna say, I wanna fly the planes, this is discrimination. Mm -hmm. So anyways. Yeah, that's good. Justin Tucker and his family pull up to a dilapidated neighborhood. They get out and the kids are a little bit like, oh fuck, bail bond shop, oh fuck, liquor store. Like this doesn't look familiar. He's like, no problem, we're gonna put like a boutique bowling alley here. There's gonna be like, I got a great idea for a brewery, like a microbrewery. Um, you know, he's moving his business into this neighborhood. You know, a bunch of Justin Tucker starts showing up. A bunch of different Justin Tucker starts showing up. Hard cut to uh, to M&T Bank Stadium where he moves his ball and the tee into Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey's, uh, you know, space. space. Travis Kelsey throws his helmet. Hard cut. Stop gentrification. I'm Travis Kelsey. Do you have white people that look like Justin Tucker moving wow. into your neighborhood? Wow. Yeah. And and making it hard for longtime tenants to pay their rent. I'm Travis Kelsey. Mm -hmm. I'll get him out of your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I'm like the gentrification police. Mm -hmm. Bunch of guys that sung opera in college, moving in, putting in microbreweries, fucking up your whole vibe. Oh, we thought we were just trying to have a little fun. We were just having a little fun. I can see how tight my jeans are. <laughs> my sides are tight. So that was half-baked. Um, and then I have one about Dan Campbell and Brandon Staley. Dan Campbell and Brandon Staley are at Vegas, or in Vegas. They're there for like, you know, they're going to make some money. This is like next week. Um, they're sitting at a blackjack table. It's like, hit me, hit me. The guy goes, 18. I don't know if that's how it goes. And he's like hit me and then todd bowles walks by and he's like you fucking idiots <laughs> <laughs> and he just keeps walking he yeah to his hotel room so that's not really an ad for anything it's well like maybe for, the gambling oh, hotline nfl kind of, honors you know can coach we, of the year can we tag do you still have that do we still have that recording of us calling the gambling guy <laughs> Now that we're Somewhere, not, yeah. we don't have a gambling partner. I think this is the one place we can thread the needle on playing that voice. Like, Fuck, I actually need to talk to that guy again. Yeah. We called the guy to see what happens when you call a gambling hotline. And this guy in Michigan 
undressed us. God bless him. I mean, he was incredible. It was both of us on the line, basically, mostly making. And the guy's like, you know, we're like, what do you do? Don't do it. And he's like, don't do it. Ruined my whole life. Whole family's dead. <laughs> Both my legs got amputated. I'm living inside of a cardboard box. I was actually, I don't have a landline. Um, this isn't even my phone. I'm at a homeless shelter taking this call. I used to gamble. I put in one parlay. Here I am. AIDS. What? <laughs> like, the guy... <laughs> <laughs> I got hit by a car. Like, it's just, I got gout now. I don't even have a foot. I have gout. That's what the guy was. <laughs> Gout's no joke, dude. Well, imagine, oh, imagine this guy. Fuck. What if I have a sure thing, guy? Twin, uh, you know, how they, they're remaking, they're remaking all the movies, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So they're, they're remaking Twins. Nice. Right? Oh, really? Starring Dan Campbell and Mike McDonald. Okay. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's good. That's so good. Because they don't look alike. Yeah! You the talk I'm kidding. I'm gonna fight you with my friend.